What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, what's going on? Drive time Tuesday afternoon, about five minutes past the hour of 2 o'clock. And I'll tell you what, man, we've had a couple of days of really nice weather. If you're into sunshine and warm weather, if you're all about the snow, the cheddar, the pow-pow, yeah, I could do it all day, as we've talked about. Don't worry. It's coming your way. We have a nice day. Bonneville's open tomorrow. Who wants to play a little golf? Going to play a little golf tomorrow in the morning. But as it is every single day, it is good to have you along for the ride. Spence Jackets behind the mic. That's Porter Larson behind the glass. Jam-packed show with a lot to do. Really fun guest list today. Uh, we are going to cover a little bit of everything. We're going to talk a little pro football. As the NFL said goodbye for the week last night, um, really good Monday night football game. Unfortunately, the piece of news coming out of it is that uh, Trevor Lawrence has a bad ankle sprain and Christian Kirk uh, is out for a while as well. So, of course, our guy Devin Lloyd uh, plays for Jacksonville. I always have an eye on them to see uh, you know, what sort of hand they've been dealt. And this may uh, really stand in the way of them doing anything special. Still in a spot potentially to make the playoffs. They're in a good spot that way. And nobody knows how long... Trevor Lawrence has been out, but it was the C.J. Beathard, Jake Browning show. And those of us around here know Jake Browning well. He played his college ball in the Pac-12, and he played really well. Looked good. And if you're a Bengals fan, maybe you have a little life now. So Monday Night Football behind us. Bengals beat the Jags in overtime, 34-31. to We'll talk some pro football today. We will also talk some college football because the world won't shut up about the CFP release. It, like, if you watched all the daily shows today, it led all the shows again. Transfer portal is chaotic. We'll talk about it from the angle of University of Utah, BYU, and Utah State. Give you some of the news um, as far as players leaving and potential targets of players that are coming in. Charlie Baker, NCAA president, sent an email outlining a proposal that we're going to talk about today because it could directly impact uh, college football and collegiate athletics if it is accepted by the schools. And it essentially would allow direct, direct, comp- direct, excuse me, direct compensation from schools under the new NIL agreement, and there's going to be a subdivision built uh, that will be in charge of things like transfer portal, NIL, roster size, things like that. So uh, they're probably going to need congressional protection, which is different than a congressional bill, and that's what they were asking for um, You know, when Mark Emmer was in charge. Mark Emmer, the man who did nothing for years, yet made $5 million per. So I'll credit Charlie Baker at least for maybe making some inroads to see if they can figure some some of these things out. I still believe the only model to solve the issues that's plaguing this sport is the professional model. I know people don't love to hear that, but that's kind uh, kind of where I'm at with the whole thing. The Heisman Trophy finalists have been announced. Jaden Daniels is like a heavy favorite to win the thing. Then it's Bo Nix, it's Michael Penix, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, the trophy will be handed out in New York coming up on Saturday. Could Bronco Mendenhall 
be back in college football. Uh, New Mexico, uh, where Bronco has a lot of ties, of course. Uh, they may be looking for uh, a new coach. Well, they are looking for a new coach, and that new coach may, may, may be Bronco Mendenhall. So there's a rumor out there in that direction. Caleb Williams is going to sit out of the Holiday Bowl against Louisville. And it's a good day for Tim Boyle. I know we're big back east, so I want to say congratulations to Tim Boyle. He was released by the Jets. So enjoy your Tuesday, Tim. Good work, buddy. Uh, so a lot to do on the show today. We're going to talk a little RSL. Last week, the news broke that there is some front office shuffling with our local soccer club. So we're going to uh, have a guest to talk about that as well. We'll help you maybe with your fantasy football lineups and some daily stuff if you're into that as well. And, um, yeah, we'll talk some college football on the show. The Jazz are off again tonight. But, once again, my bad, buried the lead. The NBA in-season tournament continues. And, you know, I was watching some of the stuff last night. I have haven't been, in, you know, completely dialed into NBA mode yet in the way that I probably should be uh, as we approach Christmas. Uh, we just had such a great year of college football and NFL. We've kind of been football centric. Uh, but I will say that I thought last night the Celtics and the Pacers game was really fun and it felt a little collegial. I don't know if it's in-season tournament related. Maybe it was just the, the Celtics being in Indiana to take on the Pacers. Uh, late night game saw the Pelicans beat the Kings. The Pelicans, as they get healthy, that could be a team to look for maybe make a little bit a uh, little bit of noise uh, in the West. Tonight, it's the Knicks and the Bucks, and then the Suns and the Lakers uh, for the opportunity to he- head to Vegas. Uh, Turner Sports will have that for you. But maybe for the first time, and this is one of the reasons why I've always liked listening to coaches post-game, coaches' media availability, um, maybe interviewing them or listening to when they have something to say. Rick Carlisle, head coach of Indiana, longtime head coach of uh, the Dallas Mavericks. He was an NBA player himself. He said something last night that kind of turned the light bulb on. He said, we're viewing this as a playoff simulator. We're utilizing the early season competition. Our, the, Indiana has a young team. And Tyrese Halliburton, you know, they, they, they've got a chance to continue to improve pretty steadily this year. They've, they've already had a decent season. And he said, look, I've got a young team that's never really experienced the playoffs together. We're using this as a playoff simulation model. And that, to me, makes sense. As opposed to like, hey, 500 grand, let's go to Vegas and let's do an in-season tournament. You know, like all that stuff felt a little contrived and forced. I do like the NBA's uh, mindset of forward thinking and trying things. But when Carlisle said last night, we're utilizing this as a playoff simulator. For me, it just kind of made sense. And I understand because there probably is an undeniable uh, layer of intensity and emotion when it comes to these play-in games. I will grant it that. And it is going to take some time for it to catch on if it ever does. So the NBA in-season tournament continues tonight. The Jazz are back in action. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, as pretty much the rest of the league will be, uh, in Dallas taking on the Mavs. Dallas an 8.5-point favorite. So we'll get you ready for that game as well. So some pro football, some college football, some RSL, a bunch of stuff to do on the show today, some NBA too. We're going to start things off with Trey Camberlein, our buddy Trey, who's with Fantasy Points. Trey was with our friends with the Jazz for a long time, and now he – uh, and his uh, peers and colleagues are trying to start a new business based off of some, you know, daily fantasy football betting type things. And Trey, dollar dollar bills, y'all. Trey's had a good couple of weeks, and I caught wind of a nice little take home he had. And so I figured we'd get him on the show. Supporter booked him today, so we'll talk to Trey Camberlein today. Uh, Band McMahon, Tim McMahon stops by from ESPN, NBA Daily Assist style, all the latest on the jazz. Big picture NBA stuff, and Tim covers Dallas, and the Jazz are taking on the Mavs tomorrow, so a good day to have Tim on. Uh, John Kimball, Real Salt Lake president, the president of the club, will be live in studio coming up at 3.30 today. 
I will ask John, although I don't think anything official is out yet, uh, because I think there are some things that still need to be figured out. However, with Jason Christ being in town for the Jazz game and sitting right next to Ryan Smith and then having that visual blasted across everybody's TV screen over the weekend when the Jazz beat the Blazers, I can't not have John in studio and, you know, with, without asking him about that dynamic. So we'll see what John has to say about the impending return of Jason Christ, uh, what it means now that Elliot is gone and Kurt Schmidt has been elevated and Tony Beltran with some additional responsibilities and then some of the offseason plans for uh, Real Salt Lake is something we will bring to you today on the program as well. So excited to catch up with Johnny today live in studio at 3.30. Andy Larson covers the Jazz for the Treb. Uh, he'll stop by after that at 4. And then Kyle Bonagura, who covers college football, and soccer will stop by uh, for a little conversation coming up in the second half of the show. Kyle is a weekly guest on the program. So a lot to do on a Tuesday. Great to have you guys along with us. However you're listening, we appreciate it. We know there are a ton of different options out there for you. And the fact that you choose us means the world. So thank you very much for your ears and attention today. And we're going to roll with Trey Camberley and Tim McMahon, John Kimball, Andy Larson, Kyle Bonagura, me, Spence Check. It's all of you, the great listeners. And that guy, Porter Larson, on a Tuesday. What's been in your beanie on a Tuesday where there's no football and a little bit of NBA? What's what's been in the Porter Larson beanie on a random Tuesday? That's a real saying. Just been so in know. the beanie? That's a real saying. I know it just sounded like I'm 65, but I'm getting older. That's a thing? What's spinning the beanie? I want to know that. Hmm. Anything? Um, I, I have been getting a little bit more into the hoops. I, I'm, you know, I'm glad that there's a little bit more competition in the in-season tournament. So I, I have been paying attention there. The The games last night were enjoyable. They were fun. They were competitive. Um, so there is a, a little lean there. I think we're in a little lull of, of college football stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, 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 my beanies, I guess, spun in multiple different directions. No, nothing that's kind of uh, specifically taking over. Obviously, college football playoff stuff is, is kind of top of mind. And, and uh you know, the the new era of college football that we are, I think, officially in, Spence. I think we can we can now officially say that and uh, look ahead to 12-team playoffs and, and this transfer portal and free agency and, and all of the like. It's uh, it's off to a quick start, and it's it's kind of fun to, to look at it through those scopes. Indeed. So several things spinning the Porter Larson beanie today, even though you've got the Roan hat and, on. Yeah, and uh, property management companies are spinning the beanie today. Oh, man. Uh-huh. It's the worst. They, you know, the age-old question, which I actually find to be spot on, would you rather have, like, a serious root canal done or mm-hmm. move? Yeah. Right? I and would ra- I would go have a root canal right now. I'll take a few painkillers. I'll get through it in a few days. Moving is the worst. So, uh, sorry, man. Hang yeah, in I, there. I, uh, little inside baseball, but not baseball. I, uh... I've been talking to this agent, real estate lady, Lisa, by the way. Shout out to Lisa. No. Um, oh, oh, wow. No shout out to Lisa well, today. You'll, 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 you'll allow this. Okay. Um, I, I have been under the impression for about a month now that I was speaking to a real human who was, you know, scheduling these showings for me and, and no helping me out. No way. Well, for the first time, we scheduled an in-person showing, right, where she had to show up to meet me to show me this apartment because there was no uh, access point to, for me to get in. Uh, by myself uh, no one showed up and they did this three times I come to find out Lisa doesn't exist even though she uh, she scheduled an in-person appointment wait wait what is she AI yes we have AI this is, this is an AI person who we are so uh, screwed <laughs> left me hanging three times 
uh, for an in-person appointment at, a, at an apartment. Wait, wait, wait. There are real estate agents that are scheduling in-person appointments and they're not real people? That's what happened to me last night, yes. That's uh, terrifying. Uh, it, it was less terrifying and more frustrating. I feel that terrifies me. You can be frustrated. I'm going to be terrified. I would have been more terrified if a non-human entity would have showed up. And, well, at least you could have got the property. Maybe that's the way we need to do this. Maybe we just need to lean into it, man. Yeah. I don't know if about I don't know enough about the AI stuff to really make a commentary, but I did not know there were robots scheduling meetings with humans and then not showing up. I would rather see the robot personally. Yeah, I mean, I would have at least saw saw the uh, the apartment, but alas. I'm just thinking about Terminator now. For exactly. all of you Gen Xers that remember that movie. Anyway, Glad it wasn't Sarah helping me out. Although she could have been very helpful. We probably should pivot out of this. I'm sure nobody cares, but. Uh, Porter's having a rough time, uh, but luckily we've got a lot to do on the show. All right, Trey Camberling will bat lead off. We'll do some pro football with Trey. But on a Tuesday before we get with Trey, Trey Camberling, courtesy of our good friends, your good friends too at Jersey Mike's, go to jerseymikes.com for all their locations across the Wasatch Front. It's time now for your opening tip. Welcome to The Drive with Spence Checkets on Utah's number one sports talk. Now into the studios of ESPN 700 to set the scene for the show. The opening tip in the drive is brought to you by Jersey Mike's. With two dozen locations in Utah, Jersey Mike's is a sub above. Order online at jerseymikes.com. We have absolutely officially entered uh, right in the meat and potatoes of the whole thing, the new reality of what college football is going to look like in the interim. Um, You know, as we've discussed on the show, uh, I said for years, Ed O'Bannon filed his lawsuit in 2008, okay? It's 16 years later. You knew this was coming, and most people talked about it in a way that felt inevitable, and it turned out to be correct. So, but, you, you know, when NIL became a reality and the transfer portal became something that was inevitable, it, it caused a lot of panic and a lot of chaos from old-school college football fans. And college football is pretty interesting and unique because there are a lot of older college football fans it simply have always had an affinity for where they went to school as an undergrad, or maybe you got your master's MBA, whatever it is, an advanced degree. Uh, you, you know, you guys probably, you might be one of them. And if you're not, you probably know somebody that has simply uh, attached their identity from the time they were 18 to this school they attended. And by proxy, they become massive fans of the football team. And it becomes this thing it almost permeates throughout a, throughout a person, like who their makeup is. They identify themselves with game day on Saturday. They can't wait to watch their college football team play, whether in person or on television. If it's a road trip, you can't attend. Like these people absolutely love the sport, and it's like an indelible part of who they are. And so that's why when the panic was kind of going on around these two pillars that are now just a reality, I understood it. I get it. I know that this this sport, um, and it's it's very important. You know, I was thinking about this this morning because the way I try to do this thing, like, I, I realize that every day I crack this mic and we have silly conversations about zero-sum games. I, I, I know that, right? But it, it's also not nothing, you know? I, I The way I try to do the job is somewhere in between understanding how irrelevant most of this stuff is when it comes to things that are really important, but also acknowledging some things that – make sports an indelible, indelible, I should say, part of our society, our makeup as a country. I, I do think sports has a very valuable and important place in the world. Uh, but juxtapose that to what's actually important. I try to view this stuff simply as entertainment and fun and uh, be grateful that I can exist in the toy aisle of life, as we've talked about. And this college football uh, rhetoric 
and conversation over the past 72 hours, I think it's brought a lot of things to light, at least for me. And some things that I think are trying to be put in place, at least, and I do have to give Charlie Baker some credit, because Mark Emmert was not forward-thinking. He was a rich, antiquated old dude that found a way to create revenue and just rested on his laurels for years, didn't do much of anything when it came to real legitimate change, and certainly did not see around corners at all, which is what a real leader has to do. It's a really hard thing to do, right? That's why great leaders are so hard to find, and when you find them, it can change the scope of whatever project they, they take on. And it's why college football coaches, when you know you have the right one, are so highly compensated and so celebrated in their communities because they're worth it. You know, they built up a program, they built up a culture that benefits the community. And they also bring in a ton of revenue into not just the athletic department, but also the university, the institution, and rising tides, right, Uh, lifts all boats. So, you know, we've talked about all the reports when it comes to the University of Utah and admissions going up over the past few years because of Rose Bowl, uh, you know, exposure, not only because of that, of of course, Uh, again, trying to keep sports in its proper place, but the exposure that Kyle was able to give the University of Utah is the main reason why he's paid what he's paid. There are other reasons, too. Winning helps, obviously. You know, building up a program the way Kyle has built helps, obviously. But it's a market thing, right? You are paid what you're worth based off what the market says. And for college football coaches and now college football players, uh, the market dictates based off of, you know, the revenue you can generate juxtaposed with your contribution of really what you can make. And with coaches, it is more of an exact science, believe it or not. These aren't just figures that are thrown around willy-nilly. There are agents, there are lawyers involved that can directly, uh, you know, and maybe not to the dollar, but generally speaking, tell you what this coach is worth to your university based off of past precedent and based off of uh, future expectations, which oftentimes falls short. Hence, Jimbo Fisher somewhere on a beach hanging out with 76 mil in his pocket for not doing anything. It's not an exact science. It isn't. But now that we're seeing the NCAA start to maybe understand that there is no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. We are where we're at. We're finally, finally, and it's still stunning that it took this long, but as somebody who has cracked on the NCAA ever since I could crack this mic 20 years ago, I will give credit where credit is due. Finally, there's some forward thinking. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. That maybe is being put in a place that could start to crystallize what this sport is actually going to look like when the dust settles. Because we are still very much in the chaos of it. The Wild West element of it. 1,184 players entered the transfer portal yesterday. It was the first day you were allowed to enter. And this portal window is open until January 2nd, by the way, right? And that's why you hear some of the stuff with Bryson Barnes, maybe playing in the bowl game, then transferring afterwards. There are a lot of things that still have to fall into place. And at some point, hopefully, we have a clear picture of what Utah football will look like on the 23rd in Vegas against Northwestern. But today, we just don't have it. So there's no use in kind of, you know, batting it back and forth. But that's a massive number. It's up 53% from just a year ago. 
And of those 1,184 1, players, there are 98 scholarship quarterbacks, including some big-name big guys. Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma, looks like he's going to land in Oregon. Uh, you're looking at, at this point, Kyle McCord from Ohio State. No landing spot for him yet. Riley Leonard looks like he's going to Notre Dame from Duke. And, G- and DJ Uiwangalele looks like he's headed back to the ACC, maybe for Louisville or Mississippi State. Like, this is not the third-string offensive guard who can't get time. Th- these are big-name players that are now understanding that if you can build a big-name brand, it's worth millions of dollars for you as a young person. And all of that is fine and good. I've always been a pay-the-player guy, and I've always been and will continue to be the only model that I see, the only model that exists. Unless you're going to invent something brand new that we've never seen before, the only model that exists that will fix the things that people are up in arms about right now, which is a certain amount of money going to a certain player as opposed to the amount of money that would go to an other player or players just leaving willy-nilly whenever, whenever they have the chance, how are we going to split up TV revenue? What does this conference get compared to that conference? Well, is ESPN playing favoritism? What about Fox? They seem to like this conference more. The only way to eliminate these things is to lean into the pro model. It just is. And, and the problem is we get caught up in terms. So if you're a massive college football fan and you're in your car or you know driving around or you're at work streaming us online, when I say lean into the pro model, you probably cringe. You probably don't want to hear that. And the first day, and you will hear this at some point. I think you should hear it yesterday, and it might take a few years. The first day you hear, and we'll just use Cam as an example. The first, the first day you hear someone like me on air, or you get an alert on your phone from the Tribune or whatever, and the headline takeaway is Cam Rising signs four-year, $12.2 million contract with the University of Utah, that will probably kill a piece of you that inside always held on to this altruistic stance that this stuff is about amateurism and the purity of the game as opposed to big business. But I hate to break it to you. It is big business. It always has been, and it always will be, and the money is just going to raise. College football ratings up 12% over the past five years. And as soon as this, uh, this thing sorts out and they're able to renegotiate the deal that is the TV network deal that will allow those networks to televise the games that every week will be big-name brands playing big-name brands. That money is going to be astronomical, and there will be enough of it to figure out how to share the pie equally. But what Charlie Baker proposed today, essentially allowing the schools to enter NIL agreements with players, things like that are the start at least to a framework of what we could look like because it will eliminate some of the rogue boosters and alumni that we've already seen across the country Uh, Several who have broken their promises, you can look at the University of Miami for that. Things like this and legislation in place to to try to corral this stuff, they are good steps. Now, you got to be careful moving forward because as soon as somebody has found a way to create a revenue stream for himself and his family, you're going to have a really hard time to tell them that they can't do it anymore. It's kind of like the social media stuff. Social media, the minute I knew social media was never going away is the minute people started to figure out how to profit it off profit off of it so governor cox can be like tiktok is killing the youth you can't get rid of it because people are benefit benefiting off of it and they built businesses based off of social media yes there's collateral damage and most intelligent people saw it coming and i know there are social uh media you know uh elements that are directly tied to the mental health issues of of a lot of people including a lot of young people 
But the problem is, as soon as people started to be able to create revenue streams off of social media, I knew it wasn't going anywhere. And it's the same thing with this. You cannot, as a governing body, the NCAA, whoever the ultimate governing body of college football is, there's no way you can tell these players that they're going to have to take big-time pay cuts after they've already established their revenue streams. You can't do that. So the only thing you can do is to figure out where we go from here and try to bring some sort of legislation in place and kind of corral this stuff a little bit to put guidelines and checkpoints into certain areas to not allow this thing to be as chaotic as it already is and has been. 1,184 players, almost 100 scholarship FBS quarterbacks yesterday said, I'm gone. And it's hard to operate a program like that unless everybody is operating off the same guidelines and rules. And there are proposals when it comes to the NCAA and the email that was sent out that talk about equality to make sure that other athletes that aren't in the spot that football players are in because they generate all the revenue have an opportunity to get some things for themselves. There are proposals in here that I do think will allow the NCAA to move on to try to get some congressional protection because they are trying to be inclusive. And that's important because it's not just football players. But as I've talked about, we're grownups here. We know where the revenue is generated. And therefore, if you're part of the revenue generated machine, you should get a piece of the pie. What does that look like? How does it fall into place? Well, hopefully, yesterday was the first step for us to try to get these answers and then coaches and administrators to try to understand exactly how they can go through the process of building a program and making it sustainable. All right, we'll do some pro football coming up on the other side. If you are a fantasy football fan or if you like to do, you know, put a little shuckles down here or there, some daily fantasy stuff or whatever, Trey Camberlin's going to stop by coming up next. Then it's Tim McMahon, John Kimball, Andy Larson, and Kyle Bonagura off and running on a Tuesday. Keep it here on ESPN 700. Sure. All right, what do we have here for our guy, Trey K? What's uh, what, what's the track? What's the bump? What are we bumping for Trey today? Well, he's uh, he's always requested Gucci Mane for uh-huh. me. I, I decided to pick the song today. Uh, I get the bag is the uh, is the one. Bag is a uh, is some recent terminology, Spence. Okay, thank you, thank you. I think I know what that means. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And my man Trey has been getting the bag as of late from Fantasy Points, formerly of the Utah Jazz, Trey Camberlian. On a Tuesday. All right. Are you on an island popping bottles? Like, give us what's going on with you right now, Trey? Uh, you know, I mean, Lisbon, Iowa is is an island in a way. <laughs> uh, and uh, popping popping a Gatorade with a twist top right now. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. Popping a Gatorade with a twist top, a twist top should be a line. Has somebody used that? Is that from a song? That, that, that should be no. a line. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll incorporate it if I ever uh, get back in the booth. See, that's what I'm saying. Once you go ahead and cash out, I, I think what's next for you, Trey, is a career in hip-hop. That's, that's what I see next for you. Yeah, I had, I had a short stint uh, when, in my early you know, 18, 19-year-old days, but uh, it's, it's been a while since. But, you know, if I can uh, win a couple more attorneys there and, and retire, maybe we'll get an album out. Okay, hold on. Uh, are you, is there video and audio of you rapping when you were young? If there, I, I need it like, I, I need it like I need air. If that's a thing, Trey, there's for sure audio out there somewhere, but it's, you know, it's difficult to locate, but you know, I, I know a guy, so, uh, we can get it figured out offline. Okay. Fair enough. So Trey, who spent a number of years with our friends of the jazz digital team is now with fantasy points. And I, I don't know, like 
the the main question I want to ask. I just know that whatever you're doing seems to be working. So share the model or whatever it is with our listeners, Trey. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I want to first off say that I'm I'm just a guy. So I'm you know I'm not like Andy Larson. You know the 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 big math whiz. I'm just kind of average Joe. But uh, yeah, we we just have a lot of really really talented uh, daily fantasy creators, fantasy football creators, and we have a ton of tools that we put together that kind of break it all down into a, a more simple science. So I, I just kind of go in and I, I listen to our guys and, and poke through the tools like fantasy points, data suite. Uh, and <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And had a, had a pretty strong lineup uh, two weeks ago last week and, and took home 20 grand. So it was pretty crazy. It was the, the biggest uh, sweat of my life. I actually, <clears throat> excuse me. I actually was uh, at 10 grand and then it went to overtime and got down to three grand. And then Devontae Smith caught a couple of passes on that last drive, got me up to 20 grand. So it was a bit of a roller coaster in that, that little 15 minute stretch, but yeah, crazy, crazy weekend. What a ride, man. Now look, um, obviously rules are different state by state. So I don't really like you're able to play fantasy here. You're able to play daily fantasy here. I did live ad libs for a daily fantasy company all last year. And you know, if you use certain oh, yeah. terminology, you're actually able to get through these things. So I, I don't know, Trey, if, if you don't have anything here, we can move on quickly, but can you share what people can do here in our state to maybe replicate some of the things that you guys do, even though uh, rules are different state by state? Yeah. A platform called underdog um, that is available. I believe in, in Salt Lake. I was playing it uh, before I left. It's actually not available in Iowa. Funny enough. Um, but that, that would be the one that I know for sure, uh, I was able to access this summer when I was there doing some best ball stuff. But other than that, yeah, I'm not totally sure. Uh, just, just go, uh, send, send letters, uh, to the, to the government there and, uh, try to get it done. You know, there we go. There we go. So we don't want to get anybody in trouble. I know we need to be, we need to be careful here, but let's talk just from a big picture standpoint. Uh, some of the things you want our listeners to know about fantasy points that if they're into such things. And if they're in a place that allows for such things, uh, what sort of resources and tools do you guys have at Fantasy Points that can help? I'll say this. Our our data suite, which is uh, only $50 right now, it's actually 75% off because this is the first season that, that it's been uh, released to the public, is, is becoming the industry standard for all things football, whether that's betting, whether that's daily fantasy, whether that's just traditional uh, fantasy football. It, it is the the single most uh, robust and just insane tool to find all of these little nuances and, and uh, data points that you wouldn't be able to find elsewhere for this price. There's obviously better tools or not better, but uh, equal tools out there that are, you know, thousands of dollars a year. And right now you're looking at 50 bucks uh, for the whole year for this tool. So our majority owner is uh, 65% on his prop bets the last three weeks. Our individual defensive props guy is up like 10 units. Uh, our Even our same game parlay guy is up like 50 units this year using the Fantasy Points data suite. So it's, it's kind of a tool that just pays for itself. Hmm. Very interesting. All right. Um, what, because uh, I, I believe, is DraftKings your main choice, Trey? Is that where you typically uh, go to place your daily stuff, your daily lineups? I'll play a lot on DraftKings, and I and I don't do a lot of the multi-entry stuff where people are submitting 150 lineups. Uh, I just 
I love gambling, so I kind of make one lineup that I think is awesome and uh, just kind of throw it out there and see what happens. So uh, that's how I won the 20000 I just hand-built my own lineup based on kind of what I'd heard and seen on our streams and, you know, got it done. So uh, last week didn't do it quite as hot, made some – I had a good lineup going into Sunday morning, but I tweaked it a little too much, so kind of got a little too cute with it. But, yeah, I, I just like to, you know, put it all on the table, one lineup, and see what happens. So for those listeners, and definitely not me, but for listeners and friends of mine that might be listening, but not me, I wonder which DraftKings games you have found the most success in. Like if you recommend, you said you don't do the multiple lineups. Is it like the captain showdown, individual game mode, or which, uh, you know, generally speaking, again, for listeners, not me, which DraftKings game have you found uh, the, the easiest to compete in? Yeah, my, so my personal favorite, the one that I want is the NFL Spy. That's going to be about 4,000 to 5,000 people entered, and it costs $100 to play. Uh, there's cheaper cheaper games that are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and the odds of getting the top lineup in a game like that is, is pretty slim. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit higher buy-in, but, yeah, I, I prefer the smaller fields. 4,000 to 5,000 would be considered kind of a midfield, uh, but you could play some – you know, thousand person contest, but they, you know, the buy-in might be 500 bucks or 600 bucks, but I usually stick with that hundred dollar lineup and try to go head to head with about 5,000 other people. Gotcha. Um, have you been, you know, we were talking about this yesterday because I might be the Kyle Whittingham of fantasy football this year. Porter agrees. Uh, have all of the injuries caused any like extra added chaos? It feels different this year, Trey, and maybe it's because there's so many quarterbacks injured, but you know, Nick Chubb, J.K. Dobbins, we, we keep going. I mean, there's just been a ton of injuries in pro football this year. Has that been challenging to try to figure out, you know, if you want to throw a backup in or whatever that looks like? Uh, for for DFS, uh, in a way, it's actually kind of nice because it narrows the field a little bit, especially with the quarterback injuries. So, you know, in a, in a week where everybody's healthy, uh, you have more options. Whereas, you know, if, if there's only two good quarterbacks on the slate, it's 50-50 kind of thing, you know. Again, someone can always, like Jake Browning last night, can come through and have an, a crazy game. But, uh, like, when I won, it was really between Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. Those were the two guys on the slate where, you know, that if you pick one, then one of them is going to be the top guy. And, of course, Josh Allen was. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a brutal year uh, for fantasy football in general. I know in my main league I've been in for 15 years, they're talking about maybe, like, should we – have less, less bench spots, the waiver wire is terrible. I'm like, no, just everybody's hurt. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it before. Do you have any data, Trad? I'd be curious. We were talking about this topically, it may have been last week, where, you know, I, I perceive, like, the NFL is king in our country by a long shot, and I think there are a few reasons. for. I mean, the game of football is great. We all know that. Uh, secondly, I feel like football uh, as a TV show, stands out a little bit. And I love basketball. I love soccer and baseball. Like, I'll, I love live sports, but there's something about a football game on TV that's great television. And then lastly, I perceive that the NFL was able to get gambling right uh, in a way that other leagues just either wouldn't or couldn't. And it was because of fantasy football. Do you have any data as far as, like, how many people per year participate in fantasy football? It feels like the business is just booming now. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything specific on hand. I think traditionally uh, fantasy baseball is kind of where it all started. So that was kind of the the cream of the crop uh, as far as fantasy was concerned. But, yeah, I think I think the NFL has probably surpassed it. I mean, I've, I'm not tuning in much on DraftKings for the baseball contest, and they do some NBA contests as well, and I stay away from those. They're a little bit harder to uh, – 
kind of figure out what's going on day to day. But I mean, when you when you play, you know, that many games, some some guys are going to sit, some guys are going to, you know, take a night off. And the NFL is nice because just with how short the schedule is, you really do get everyone's best effort every week. So if if your guys not injured, uh, he's going to be on the field, and and that's not always the case in in some of the other sports. So I just think that's why it's kind of been the best product. I'll. I've been watching some of these NBA games and uh, Embiid's been out and some, you know, some other guys are sitting or Jimmy Butler will take a night off. And it's just like, you know, it just kind of kills the the whole betting scene when it's, and then, you know, the game will be out of hand, you know, it'll be a 30 point game and you only got, you know, two and a half quarters of action. So that can happen in the NFL too, but I I just feel like it hasn't been, uh, been like that as much this year. All right. As you know, you lived here. This is a massive college football market. And so we've talked a lot of pro football for bowl season. Do you guys have any uh, data, any info that college football fans can utilize if they want to kind of get involved day to day? Combined with the NFL premium subscription. So, and that'll be its own product next year, but we have a, a great team. Uh, Josh Chevalier kind of, kind of leads that group and they do, uh, they do prop bets each week. They run through the games that are going on. Uh, they do a lot of college football, DFS, and fantasy football. Uh, Darren Manser pitches in there. He was he was uh, in the running for the million, the million maker for NFL uh, when I won my twenty thousand. Uh, he contributes to college, and then uh, Rick Camla also uh, does a couple bets every week and and uh, kind of contributes in that way. So yeah, we, we will head over to fantasypoints.com. Uh, look through the college section. They'll be uh, updating all through bowl season, and yeah, some really sharp guys over there. All right, you just referenced the touch point, but uh, before I say you lose, anything else you want to get out there where people can go? You referenced the website, fantasypoints.com. Do we get like 50% off if we're like, hey, I know Trey K? Yeah, going next year, some promo codes, you know, to, for each individual person. But it's all so discounted right now just because the season's so so close to done. Uh, premium subscription right now is 30 bucks, So that's still a couple DFS slates left, obviously, the rest of the college season. Um, and then, you know, as we get into the off season, you, there won't be as much there, but I did have one thing I did want to say, Go ahead. Uh, I looked, I looked at the slate of guys that are on today on the station. You got Andy, you got McMahon, you got John Kimball. I, I feel like the Mario Chalmers of that group, you know, just some, just some superstars here coming on and, you know, I'll just, I'll just you know, dish the rock a little bit and do that thing. But, you know, a guy wins 20 grand and all of a sudden he's rolling with the big dogs. Trey, do I need to remind you that Mario Chalmers hit one of the biggest shots in that heat, that run with the Heat? That's not nothing, man. Just so you know. I think Trey just fell into a cave, so we'll let him go. Trey, uh, you're the man. Appreciate the time, okay? Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, Trey Campbelling, director of digital strategy for Fantasy Points. It's a new gig that he has. Really good kid. Was here for a while, so trying to help him out a little bit, but. I don't think I need to help him at all. If you want some of that information that seems to be getting Trey and his buddies a bunch of scratch, if you're into that, and again, I don't want anyone to get in trouble. It's just, it's like NIL. It's the Wild West. I don't know what to say. But at Trey Camerly and on Twitter, head over to fantasypoints.com and, and check it out. All right, we'll catch a break. Do a little NBA in-season tournament coming up next. We still have Tim McMahon, Andy Larson, John Kimball, Kyle Bonagura on a busy Tuesday. So keep it here on ESPN 700.
Porter once again is following me during the break. It sucks that Death Cab is coming to Kilby Court because that means I've got to see like eight acts that I want to see in order to see Death Cab next May here in Utah. And you've got to hang around all the hipsters. And That's not it. You also called me an effing youngs. hipster last week. Yes, the youngs. Okay. I went to the Kilby Court thing, I think two years ago. And uh, I, by far, was the oldest one there. Like, by far. I don't know about that. It wasn't close, man. You can ask <laughs> JP. You can ask Falk. I'm telling you. I, I looked around. I, in fact, it was funny because JP was standing there when somebody recognized me. Okay? And here's what happened. This young man came up to me and he said, are you, are you Spence Jackets? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, my dad loves you. <laughs> At the concert. That's how that went down. I was the oldest one there by far. So, no, I'm not excited to see the Kilby Court announcement. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I bet I bet there was at least one or two like you know like an old hippie, yeah, hippie couple there yeah that that they were older than you but, probably but, you know. but I didn't see them I'm dead serious I didn't see them age is uh, just a number Spence it's it's about how you feel I feel great I'm just saying when it comes to a band that I love I want them to play a standalone show I don't want to be forced into a venue Got where it. I have to w- watch soccer mommy wherever the hell it is or eight bands that I don't know about you're you're over the the festival type thing. Yes, the festival is for the youngs. I went to a Sound On Music Festival with my wife two years ago in my home state of Bridge of Connecticut in Bridgeport. And by the time I got home, I slept for like a week. Festivals are for the youngs. They are. I uh, I would pay money to see you at like Warp Tour. I was at Warp Tour. <laughs> what? I was at Warp Tour. I want to say it was 1994. I used to love music festivals. The only one I never I went to Coachella. I never went to Burning Man. Okay. Ne- never will. But no, when it comes to a band I really want to see, I want them to play their own show, not a show with 20 other people. That's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm not much of a festival guy either. Um, if you get the lineup right, where there are multiple acts that I want to see rather than just one, yes, we're all we're all good, right? Like yeah. The Big Sky Music Festival up in Montana each year has three or four acts that I, I really like to see, like to to make it up to that one. But uh, if if it's a huge huge list of uh, mostly bands I haven't heard of. I might I might go listen to some some music that I haven't heard before, but mostly uh, mostly going to avoid the festival. Like the Kilby Court lineup, which has like four or five good bands and a bunch of bands that only fifteen year old hipsters listen to. Yeah, there's maybe two or three on there that I, I would like to see. So if the timing works, I might I might sw- swing by or just ride my bike by uh, at the at the right time, like I did last year. Can I ask you a question? What like I know the simple answer is Elon's a narcissist. I can't do the Twitter thing anymore, man. I might just mm-hmm. end my profile. Like, I send my workout. Like, like I haven't checked out Twitter for a while. And then I'll pull it up, and, like, Jonathan Tabernari is explaining debt loan forgiveness. I'm like, I don't want Thanks, JT. to see any of this ever. Yeah. What happened to this, this, this platform? The algorithm's broken. It's gone. It's not what it There's used to be. There's nothing there for me anymore. Nothing. My, my entire feed is, is yeah, it's, it's not what I want to be seeing. It's a lot of times stuff that i shouldn't be seeing um and listen uh there's a lot of uh powers that be that are, are kind of tugging at different in different directions there that's not really what i'm talking about i follow specifically only like sports and um media accounts on my twitter i never see any of their stuff i i, I do that for work reasons right i want to see that type of stuff and it's it's not what i'm seeing and um yeah it seems like there's uh, a different type of uh, community feel with it as well, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll send my stuff out. I'll I'll uh, send out tweets as I'm watching a game, but I don't do the scroll anymore. I'm I'm definitely not um, as tuned in to to any of the stuff there. 
the question is, what's the the pivot, right? Because sports media has kind of existed on Twitter almost exclusively for two decades, uh, decade and a half at least. So uh, it, it's interesting what the the pivot will be for a lot of folks in this industry. Okay, the jazz. <clears throat> excuse me, the Jazz are off tonight. They're back in action tomorrow. But the NBA mid in season tournament. Excuse me, not mid season because we're not close to that. It's the in season tournament. So we'll do that with Tim McMahon coming up on the other side. It's wintertime, guys, even though it's like 52 degrees and sunny outside. But we're going to see some rain and snow and ice. That's the deal living in Utah, as you guys know. So now's the time to get your vehicle winter, uh, excuse me, to get your vehicle winter ready at Les Schwab. So drop by your Les Schwab Tire Center. Let them help you prepare for winter. They're going to check your tires, air pressure, and talk about traction device options before you hit those winter roads. So drop by any Les Schwab or visit them online to schedule an appointment at lesschwab.com. All right, one hour down, three hours to go. Tim McMahon, Andy Larson, John Kimball. That's your 3 o'clock hour right here on ESPN 700. Van McMahon, Van McMahon, baddest dude in all the land. Texas blood as thick as mud. He's Van McMahon. Van McMahon, Van McMahon, he's Van McMahon. Jazz off tonight again. They're going to take on Dallas tomorrow. So a good day to have our next guest on. Every day is a good day to have Tim McMahon on the show. Tim, I got to start here. How's your in-season tournament bracket looking right now? Woo. Well, you know, I actually did one for the uh, NBA, and they had me posted on social media. And uh, I don't think the Celtics are going to win the in-season tournament anymore, as I originally predicted. I've, I've Perhaps need a revision on that. No, it looks like the Kings didn't quite make it to Vegas either. So, so far, no, no good. Exercise and futility. I kind of chuckle when I saw everybody doing this. But nonetheless, um, you know, Tim, last night, and you know this guy, so I was excited to talk to you about this today. Rick Carlisle said something that finally, like, it was like a light bulb moment for me. Because, look, as you and I have talked about, uh, I'm an NBA guy, and I applaud their endeavors when they're trying to do something that's different and maybe – uh, be forward thinking a little. I think that's great. Uh, I really do. And uh, when it comes to this, I just think it's going to take a minute for it to entirely resonate, and that's okay. But when Rick Carlisle postgame said last night, I have a young team and we're using this as a playoff simulation, I went, you know what? That's definitely something like tangible I can latch on to, right? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that it benefits young teams. It benefits teams like Sacramento, teams like New Orleans. You're the first two teams that are going to Vegas not just because it simulates the that kind of playoff feel, but also it gets them some exposure. You know, especially you talk about a team like Indiana, where Tyrese Halliburton, one of the most exciting players in the league, this is statistically the best offense in NBA history by like five points right now. And it's early, but that's like it, it's incredible how efficient they are offensively. And nobody sees them unless you have league pass or live in Indiana. That was the first time in Tyrese Halburn's career that he'd been on TNT. Wow. Let that sink in. This guy is, you know, he's, he's already signed his, his rookie contract extension. That's the first time he has been on one of the NBA's major national TV partners. Uh, first time he's had that exposure. And look, the Pacers are fired up. They're excited about it for the development reasons and the exposure reasons. And I think that is one of the great things uh, about this tournament. I didn't know that about Halliburton. That is, that's quite stunning. Um, what is it about? Because 
I want to say when Rick was in Dallas, he also coached the Mavs during the year where they set the NBA record for offensive mm-hmm. efficiency. What is it? What is it about his style or whatever it is that allows him to get these type of results on that end of the floor? Well, and it's funny because Rick back in the day, like when he was in Detroit, I think he had a playoff loss that was like 69 to 65. So he's, <laughs> he's coached that slug it out, just gross old school Eastern conference style, but he's adapted with the times. And, you know, the, the thing that everybody you talk to about Rick Carlisle says, whether they love him or hate him, is that this guy is an X's and O's genius. And he's really figured out uh, in, in the modern NBA, the kind of the pace and space NBA, he's been the master of spacing. It's, it's not necessarily about play calling anymore. It's more about kind of concepts and creating spacing for your playmakers. And obviously, He's been fortunate or sometimes unfortunate with Luca, but in terms of playmaking, Luca Doncic on that Dallas offense and now Tyrese Halliburton with that Indiana offense, he's gotten these elite young playmakers and put them in position to flourish. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll say that was a really fun atmosphere. You know, like I said, I've I've tried not to be the guy that just because I hate the I hate the courts and I I always will you know and, and stuff like that I. But but I'm trying to really be open-minded to this, and I thought that game last night was uh, kind of a collegial atmosphere, which I think might be kind of the point. But I wanted to ask you, Tim, from your standpoint, you know, the stuff you do with Windhorse, Hoop Collective, all the relationships you have around the league. What if there is a consensus or something as close to it? What what what's the early return, the feedback on the in-season tournament so far? You know, I've heard some grumbling about the court from uh, players, more so just about it being slippery and like the paint all over the court potentially being problematic there. But all in all, I I think that there's been some kind of confusion. Like, hey, what the heck is this? Like, what are we doing? How does this work? But I haven't heard any complaining. Uh, Not about, like, the the general idea of the tournament. And, again, I think that's number one because these games up into the final all count for the regular season standings. So even if you don't love it, they're still regular season games. You know, it's just they've got a little bit extra juice on it. But uh, number two, these guys, the rich people like to get richer. And it's not just about the 500 grand that's the, the prize for the teams that win the in-season tournament title. But these the smart players understand, hey, the NBA is trying to create more revenue. If this thing works, it's going to create significantly more revenue. It's something that they can sell in the next TV deal. And suddenly that pie gets bigger and everybody's getting more money. And so, and, you know, the other thing you're hearing, just like talking to executives and folks around the league, is it has gotten people talking more about the NBA than they typically do during football season. And if they can kind of brand those Tuesdays and Fridays as NBA nights, that's a massive win for the league. And I think this was a pretty good step in that direction. Yeah, yeah, and I have I have enjoyed it. And I'll be anxious to see what it looks like uh, with everything on the line in Vegas. But now we move over to the jazz Tim and uh, the ringer uh, released there. Rob Mahoney, they're up to date uh, top 100 players in the NBA as of today. And Lowry's at 33 walkers at 89, but there's no Simone Fontecchio or, or, or uh, Omar yeah. Yurtseven. And uh, you know, look, obviously kidding aside, man, like I did not think no part of me did that. We'd be talking about these two this time of year, but as you've outlined eloquently, and as we've talked about on the show, for a team that's just probably not going to win a lot consistently, it is these small little victories that we need to kind of latch on to. And ever since Will uh, kind of you know went at his team a couple of weeks ago in Portland, or I guess last Wednesday in Portland, 
they've responded and they've won three of five. We're not hanging banners, but it's better than it was. And a lot of that is result of the effort directly related to Fontecchio and Yurt seven. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and they've won three of five, despite the fact that Markman has missed all those games with a hamstring. Yeah. Obviously, he's going to be a huge part of this thing moving forward. Uh, my understanding is they hope he can get back later on this week. Probably will not be tomorrow night in Dallas. But the one thing that Will Hardy has just drawn a line in the sand about is, like you said, it, you're going to play hard. You know, you're going to pay attention to detail. Effort's not going to be an issue. It's a requirement. And Fontecchio and Yurt Seven, those guys are playing hard, and they're going to get minutes. That's how they are going to earn minutes. I don't know that they're going to be in the starting lineup long term. I do think when marketing comes back, and we talked about this, I think that Will's going to have an interesting decision to make there. It won't be marketing or, or Fontecchio. Obviously, it would be John Collins. And I just don't know if you can do that with a proud bet who's been a starter for ever since his rookie year, basically. But, uh, again, Will has to establish absolute must as, as far as the culture goes. And the first one is play hard. And that's what this is about right now. Yeah, and last year, and you and I talked about this, Will's now coached over 100 games. And last year, when I said this, I got a lot of pushback from the fans. And I'm not a, hey, congratulations for playing hard pro athlete guy. But I thought one of the re along with Mike Conley being here and some of the other vets, but one of the reasons I thought they were able to get wins uh, when a lot of people didn't think they were going to be able to get wins was how hard they played. So I do want to follow up, like, because one of the things you just said that I want to uh, amplify a little bit to our audience is how much of, you know, Will's uh, messaging, how much of his communication, how much of his decision-making is about laying this foundation for the future as opposed to what's in front of us today. Uh, I would say that is the priority. And this is, it's about development, but development's not just skill, right? Development is, hey, this is how we're going to play to be, to, to be able to grow this program to a point where they're going to have a chance to win on a consistent basis. And if you talk to Will for five minutes, you'll probably hear something along the lines of, I do not believe in free minutes. And in other words, nobody's guaranteed minutes. You don't get minutes just based on, hey, you were a first-round pick or, you know, you've got this contract or whatever the case may be. He is uh, insistent that minutes must be earned. And, you know, those two guys that, that, that you mentioned have earned minutes recently. And, uh, you know, that's why they're continuing to, to be in the starting lineup. All right. In the uh, along the same lines of just small victories here or there, you know, we continue to be pretty excited around here about what we've seen from Keontae. And I, you know, I don't mm -hmm. get too enamored with make or miss for young players. Donovan went through the same right. thing. And, you know, that that's the that that's the area. You look at the shooting percentages. We got to get that up. And I'm sure he will. I mean, the shot isn't broken. He could score in college. He'll score here. What stands out most to you about how Keontae has responded to Will asking him to kind of drive the car a little bit? that he basically looks pretty comfortable as a point guard, despite that not being a position that he's ever played on a full-time basis in his life. It wasn't a point guard in high school. wasn't a point guard at Baylor. Uh, so to be able to step into the NBA, uh, really can't even grow a full mustache, and, hey, you're a starting point guard, and, and not crumble, that's pretty impressive. And, like, if you talk to Will about Keontae, he'll say, man, this guy really sees the floor. Like, he makes some high-level passes, not just – the basic read, but 
you know, being able to get to a read that's not obvious or being able to, to kind of manipulate the defense and, and set something up. And so, yeah, as, as you mentioned, the shooting percentage right now is pretty ugly, but this guy came into the league uh, known as a scorer with a question mark. Could he be a lead guard? You know, they don't use the term point guard in, in uh, with the jazz. They say lead guard and they're awfully confident that he can't, that he is right now and that he can be a really good one. We, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we discussed with you when the season started why Walker didn't look the way that we thought that he would. I, is it fair to say, because since he's been back, even though he's not starting, he's looked good. He's looked the way he looked a year ago. Is it fair to say that coming off a of summer with Team USA, maybe he just wasn't rested and not fully healthy now that he's back healthy playing high-level basketball? I mean, I, I think that is reasonable speculation. Uh, I think it's also reasonable speculation to say that he might have benefited as much mentally as physically from the whatever it was two and a half weeks that he took off with the uh, you know minor little elbow thing that he had going on. Um, but and again, Nurt Seven has continued to be in the starting lineup, but it's not like it's not like Kessler's not playing significant minutes. He's playing you know starter uh, level type of minutes, and they are as excited about Kessler now as they were at the end of last season despite the fact that he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but they still look at this guy uh, as somebody who can be a double, double machine and a, and a great rim protector for years to come. I do think there's a little misnomer about Fontecchio uh, for fans that have only seen him for a couple of years. He's 27, you know, like he is not a kid. Uh, but when you look at your seven, he's 25. So both of those players in their mid kind of late twenties ish, I guess there's a conversation to be had about whether or not they fit with the time frame of Keontae and Taylor and such, but have you seen enough from Yurt Seven and Fontecchio to believe that they're going to be part of the rotation and maybe can be part of whatever the future looks like? Uh, I would say maybe on all accounts. Um, you know, look, there's always going to be roster turnover in the NBA, and, and I don't look at any of those guys and say, oh, no question, those are pieces of the Jazz's core as they move forward, I mean, hey, they could both be gone by the trade deadline for all we know. But when you talk about the development of young guys like Keontae George and, and, and Walker Kessler, uh, you know, on down the list, you need solid veteran play around them. You need, you know, guys who set a baseline for uh, effort and, and, and hard play. And, you know, Will Hardy likes those guys a lot. Um, they're there right now. Uh, again, moving forward, I, I think it's hard to say anybody's going to be part of the core outside of a, a pretty select chosen few. And I do think part of that select chosen few will be Taylor, Taylor Hendricks, and it's way too early to say anything about him. And, you know, yeah. we've, we've talked about it, Tim, and I'm sorry for the repeat element of this, but he is a player that a lot of fans around here are simply just curious about. And we finally saw him get some minutes with the varsity, as Gordy Chase would say, as the Jazz beat the Blazers, can you shed any light for our fans that are curious about, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes thinking as as far as how they're handling Taylor this year? Uh, if they thought he was ready to play and contribute in the NBA, he'd be playing in the NBA. It's, it's really as simple as that. Uh, obviously, they like his upside enough to take him in the top ten of the draft. Um, the fact that he was taken in the top 10 draft, as you said, is an indication they think he can be part of this core moving forward. But he's raw. He's a project. And I'll be honest with you, man, it's a little concerning that he's not really lighting up the G League either. Usually guys who are going to be legitimate NBA players, 
they, they go to the G League and they're the best guys in in the gym. Uh, that hasn't been the case for him. But you know, to to reach any kind of grand conclusion about a one and done rookie uh, two months into his rookie year would be pretty bold and foolish. No doubt. All right, Tim. Before I say you lose, there was one point. Uh, after Bobby Marks came on the show and outlined the potential of the Jazz being actively involved in the holiday stuff, where I felt like maybe a deal like that is something that can really get this team back, not to contention, but maybe top six or seven. And after watching them to start the year, I just don't think they're one or two pieces away. Uh, Any insight or idea on the mentality of that front office right now as to whether or not they will actively add to the group prior to the trade deadline in February? I mean, I think the Jazz will be involved in a ton of trade conversations, and I think there there will be all sorts of different scenarios as far as, you know, immediate help, draft capital, you know, something in between. The the one thing I can just tell you is, I always go back to this, the goal of Danny Ainge, Ryan Smith, Justin Zanuck, the consensus goal is to build a contender as quickly as possible. And, and that, that means every move they make is going to be about what is this, how does this help us three, four years down the road? So if it is about getting somebody who's going to be instantly part of the starting lineup, part of the rotation, I think that would have to be a guy who, uh, you know, would be a long-term piece and, and not just a, you know, hey, can, can we get into the play-in mix? And to, to go, to think real short-term with this group, would be, you know, it'd be pretty silly. No, you got to bounce, but two teams you cover are playing tomorrow, the Jazz and the Mavs. Uh, how healthy is Dallas, and what are you expecting to see in that game tomorrow? Yeah, two teams I cover in my backyard, and I'm going to be on a plane to Vegas. Ain't that something? Oh, man. Uh, the, Mavs, the Mavs aren't very healthy. Uh, Josh Green is out with an elbow sprain. That's not good. Maxi Kleba's been out for a while with a dislocated toe. They've got some... Key questionables, Kyrie, who missed the last game. Hardaway, who's missed the last couple. Uh, Grant Williams has now popped up as questionable with some knee soreness on the injury report. So they're not very healthy, but uh, 77 is healthy. And if, if they've got Luka Doncic, there's a chance there could be a show. 77 is healthy. I think you're at seven is playing. So you're, you're, you're spot. <laughs> hey, this is going to be one of the best matchups of 77s in NBA history for sure. No doubt. There's your footnote. All right, buddy. Travel safe. Enjoy Vegas. Chat soon. I appreciate you, brother. Two excellent 77s on the court tomorrow. Omar Yurt 7 and uh, Luka Doncic. So that should be fun. Uh, appreciate Tim's time. The NBA in-season tournament rolls on. The Jazz will be back in action against Dallas tomorrow. And as Tim outlined, looks like Kyrie Irving, Tim Hardaway Jr., Grant Williams, and Josh Green, in addition to Maxi Cleaver, are, are all out. Uh, not expecting Markin into play. I have not heard anything about Clarkson. We'll bring that to you. Uh, once we get more information before we catch a break, John Kimball live in studio coming up next. I want to tell you about the Crimson Collective's Utah FTW 360 app. It gives you player profiles, game stats, exclusive videos, and now a brand new Ram 1500 truck. At the end of the year, one lucky fan is going to receive a Ram 1500. And you can also win prizes like free tickets and signed merch every week. Anyone who downloads the app is entered to win. So get the Crimson Collective's Utah FTW 360 app today. Now, Winner's truck may vary. No purchase necessary. Giveaway starts at 12 a.m. Mountain Time on September 1st, 2023 and ends at 1159 Mountain Time on December 31st, 2023. Open only to legal residents in the state of Utah who are 21 or older with Internet access and a valid email address. Limit to one entry per person, household, or email address. You can see the official rules at ftwin360.com slash truck giveaway for all the details. That is void where prohibited.
All right, John Kimball, live in studio. Coming up next, all the latest on RSL. So keep it here on ESPN 700. Itch on the drive. The RSL Insider today and every day is brought to you by Beer Bar. Head downtown for watch parties and game day shuttles to the stadium. More at BeerBarSLC.com. You know how it gets uh, pretty hot in the studio when the sun is actually shining, which it is today? You know how, I mean, it does feel like the AC is working, but whenever the sun is shining, you know how it gets a little smoky in here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That glass box of emotion. It's like a microwave. You know how typically we'll take off the sweatshirt and just do the show in the T? I realize I'm wearing a tank top today. Do it. I can't do it. You'll take a picture. I don't trust you, and I can't be the Pat McAfee of Salt Lake. I, I was just going to say, it's it's working for some. Working for some. I'll tell you what. If you can broker a deal between now and our next break where our show just got sold and we're making $50 million a year, I'll wear a tank top and no pants to do the show. I mean, that that's plenty of incentive. Um I don't know. There's a Roan sponsorship we could attach to it instead. I have a feeling my brothers won't sponsor our show if I'm doing it pantless. So let's just move in a different direction. Just but sleeves. You, just sleeves. Will you work on the deal? I'll, I'll reach out to right, Thanks. Our next guest loves himself a tank from time to time. Let's talk a little <laughs> RSL. The president of Real Salt Lake, John Kimball, on a Tuesday. Johnny, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, Spence. Uh, thanks for leading in with Led Zeppelin. That was appropriate. You got it. You got it. So, of course, it has been a busy, busy time for you guys over there for the past week. But before we get there, I haven't spoken to you since the season came to an end. And, of course, uh, it didn't end the way you wanted. But it was another successful year where you were able to go to the postseason. And I know on the business side, you guys saw some good growth as well. So let's just get like a general overview statement on uh, you know your take uh, on the season that was, and then we'll get to what is going to be in front of us now. Yeah, thanks. You know, I'd, I'd say we did have a good season. Um, you know, with the League's Cup and with the U.S. Open Cup and and getting to uh, playoffs. I mean, those are all positive moves for us in the right direction. Um, we want to push the envelope and keep going, and so. Um, you know, that's why our own ownership keeps uh, pushing us to, to step up a notch and, um, the, you know, thus some of the changes that have happened in the last couple of weeks. All right, so let's dig into those changes, and let's start with the Elliott angle here. You know, um, Elliott is a, uh, is a guy who had been part of RSL for the better part of 17 years. He went from a snot-nosed know-it-all intern that got coffee for Trey to a snot-nosed know-it-all general manager who I think actually did a pretty good job, uh, you know, faced with some really difficult circumstances on a number of different stops. And uh, I know in the release you, it says you guys are still talking to him, and I have no insight into that. But, it, you know, what has been announced, John, is he's no longer the, the GM of the club. Now we'll get to the Kurt side of this in a moment, but what would you say about the Elliott side to the story that, was, uh, that came out last week with the front office reshuffling? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head. Elliot is a phenomenal human being and has dedicated himself to this club. Um, again, you know, the only Western Conference team to make it to the playoffs three years in a row. Um, Elliot has done a phenomenal job uh, negotiating players and working with our coaches. And, you know, uh, from me uh, specifically, just want to say thank you to all of his efforts and all of his work. Uh, the club did decide to move on on the general manager position. That position is currently open. 
uh, and our, our global football holdings network is in the process of doing a global search, which is one of the real benefits we have of our ownership, owning multiple teams in Europe and around the world and different leagues. Um, so, you know, again, the thing I want to focus on more than anything is saying thank you to him for his service and his hard work. And uh, he has really set the tone for us to go to another level. And we look forward to those that we're going to be bringing in. So, I, I, excuse me, I, I do need to follow up with what, what does it mean in the announcement, in the, in the release, that you guys are still talking to Elliot about a potential role? What, what does that mean? You know, one of the things I, I think and believe is that we're better with more people, especially people like Elliot. And so we've been talking with him about, you know, the possibility of working with us uh, in the future in a different role. Um, but Elliot has taken some time to really be thoughtful. Ownership has been very respectful and, and wanted to honor uh, his service to the club. And so we're giving him a minute to kind of think through things, and we're still in discussions about what that might look like. Uh, you know, his other option may be that he's got opportunities and people looking at his success and wanting to him come on board sooner than later. And so we just want to be very thoughtful about how we move forward with Elliot. And uh, we want to give him that time to make the best decision for he and, he and his family. Can you, excuse me, can you confirm that that potential role is going back to be, to being Trey's intern? <laughs> that is a potential opportunity. Okay, okay. I think he still was getting coffee for Trey, but yeah. that's just because he's a good friend. No, no, it's because if you know Trey, you have to get him coffee because he's always late, so he forgets to get his. So that's just part of being friends with Trey. But let's move over to the Kurt part of this, the Kurt Schmidt part of this, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the potential GM role being filled by maybe a guy who was in town over the weekend. But, you know, I remember, John, the first time, like, I sat down with Kurt face-to-face, and we were at dinner, and I just listened to him talk about the club and I listened to him talk about soccer and I listened to him talk about the way his father built things and how he learned to build things. And I was immediately very impressed. Uh, I didn't know him at all. I knew his dad a little bit cause he did some TV work with us back in the day. Uh, but I've always been impressed by simply uh, his IQ and his intelligence level. And that's an important part of building a soccer club. He's now the sporting director and RSL's chief soccer officer. Uh, talk about, you know, the Kurt side of this. What does it mean? Again, you're you're right on, Spence. He's he's an extremely bright, uh, amazing pedigree uh, in soccer. Has had great work experience with numerous clubs, and we're lucky to have him flat out. Uh, he currently is the interim CSO, and uh, with that general manager position still being open, um, you know that uh, that is a role that Kurt can step right into and and make sure that we're you know, getting all the information and leading our club the way we need to. Um, but, you know, he has been a big part of our success, and he's excited to step up and, and lean in to the challenges our ownership has given us to, to bring home some hardware. So I'm very confident uh, that Kurt and Tony Beltran are, are going to help lead out uh, with others that, that we're excited about bringing on in the near future. And, uh, yeah, couldn't say enough positive about Kurt. It's been great to get to know him and work with him as well. And like you said, he has a very high soccer IQ. You referenced that general manager spot being vacant right now, John. And, of course, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you, 
Uh, you know, there are, are reports from The Athletic that you guys are in talks with Jason Christ. So that, that story is out there. And then on Saturday night, watching the Jazz game, and I said, that guy looks familiar, sitting next to Ryan Smith. And sure enough, it was Jason who was at the Jazz game with Ryan, leading a lot of people to draw the conclusion that the next general manager of Real Salt Lake will be Jason Christ. What do you say to that? I would say that the, the, the general manager position is open, and there's going to be a pretty extensive search uh, for that specific position. Um, and, and, you know, straight up, we, we've had conversations with Jason about other opportunities with the club. Uh, those opportunities would not be on the coaching side and at this point would not be general manager uh, positions, but there are other opportunities that exist that we're exploring with him. And, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, we'll just be a better club with somebody like Jason uh, being involved with our group if we're lucky enough to make that work. Um, he is a huge talent, has a lot of experience, uh, brings a lot to the table. His name is on our building. Uh, you know Jason well. Uh, he's a very thoughtful but also very disciplined and organized individual, and uh, we'll be lucky if we can figure out a way to work with him. Can you confirm if that position is also one of Trey's interns for Jason at this juncture? <laughs> Trey needs multiple he does. interns. We he all does. know that. So I, yeah. uh, I think that is a role that he could fill as well. Let, let me follow up, obviously, joking aside, as to whether or not you can share any of the conversations you've had with Jason and if you could shed some light on uh, you know, whether or not he's eager to come back. Is this something he wants to do? I mean, I always thought... First of all, I thought he'd be the coach here forever. And then part of me thought, like, he's really good at this, so he's going to have a chance to do it elsewhere, which he did. And it just, it just never fell into place for him, which still kind of surprises me. Reports that uh, they wanted him up in Portland as an assistant coach. I know he and Garth have spoken in years past about an opportunity there. But I, I, I don't know, you know, what he wants to do and what the tone and tenor of these conversations sound like. Can you share any details that way? Well, some of the good news we have is he's got uh, – a son that's going to the University of Utah. Um, he he loves Utah, loves Salt Lake, loves our club and our culture. And so I think those are things and areas that line up. And you know certainly he has a lot of respect for your father. And uh, and and obviously he's the uh, coach that has brought the only national championship to the state of Utah. So. There's a lot of really good reasons for, for him to be involved and to be a real asset to us. And like I said, we'll be lucky if we can get something figured out. So um, the other piece of this, John, is the coaching staff. And according to the release and what I've been told, Pablo is staying and he's under contract. So he'll be the manager. But his assistants have been let go. Uh, what can you tell us about the process of filling out the coaching staff before the season gets going, which really is only a few weeks away, quite frankly? Yeah, quite honestly, everybody took off today to go to Arizona uh, for a showcase, and uh, they're working very hard to prepare ourselves for next year. Uh, we are in the process of looking to fill those uh, assistant coach positions, and I, I do want to take the opportunity to thank Matt and Brett and Nacho for their service and all their hard work and everything they did to help our club be as successful as it's been over the last couple of years. Um, but yes, we're excited to have Pablo secured as our head coach and captain, or you know, the captain of our club, and he's um, brought a lot of success uh, to us as well. And we really believe in him as 
as the leader on the field, and we're looking forward to, you know, the next couple of weeks as we try to sift through and figure out uh, what's going to make our team bring home some hardware, like I mentioned earlier, as far as assistant coaches go. In order for a club to exist in a community, uh, part of the ecosystem is asking fans to invest and attend games and buy merchandise. And I know uh, every year you guys have some holiday opportunities for RSL fans to capitalize on some things. If they, if they want to buy tickets and merch, what can you what can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, there's a huge sale going on right now with jerseys and tickets. And so uh, if, if a jersey is in your future for a kid for Christmas or for somebody in your family, now is definitely the time to take a look at that. Um, Matt Rader consistently does a great job with our season tickets and taking care of our, our fan base. And uh, I'll tell you that that Monday night game that we had uh, against Houston was the highest revenue in the history of the club, and we sold it out on a Monday night. And it just gives you an idea of the passion that our fan base has and, and how excited they are to see us do well. And just want to say thank you to all of our fans for all of their support this season. And we really are working hard to, to step up and, and just do bigger and better th- things next year. Next year marks the return of a team that meant a lot to a lot of people around here as the Royals are going to make their return to our market. I know there are a lot of people excited for that. 10,000 fans per game last time around, which was second in the entire league to Portland. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, kind of the same thing? What are the, what, what are the plan, what, you know, what are the plans right now? What's that looking like? We had Amy on Amy Rodriguez on the show after she was announced, very impressed with her, who's going to be the manager of the club. Uh, what can you share with our listeners in the market that would very much like to support the Royals again? You know, it's interesting. The second question that I got uh, when I first came back, you know, was first was, you know, whose ownership going to be? And then second was, when are we bringing back the women's team? So um, we are really excited about bringing the women's club back. Um, Utah is nationally and, and really quite honestly globally known for their success with women's soccer uh, in the country, and we're really lucky to be able to bring some players back to our club, uh, the Royals, uh, with Michelle Heinsick leading out as president of that club. Uh, we are in really good hands. She was our general counsel, worked for the league for a number of years, and it's just wicked smart and uh to have amy on as our coach uh it, it it is quite honestly it's an honor to have such an amazing group of people coming back to start this club back up on the women's side and we again are looking forward to, to having that fan base uh, come out and support our women's team as we really feel confident that we will be dominant Finally, John, what's uh, shed some insight uh, for our listeners, our RSL fans, you know, as I reference, and of course, there's still MLS Cup that has to unfold, but you're going to blink and this thing's going to be back. So what's, uh, you know, what, what are the next seven, eight weeks like for you in the front office and the club as a whole? You know, the, the exciting thing is we're a young team and, you know, for us to compete the way we competed this year with players like Diego Luna and Gavin Biebers and just a number of, of young, talented players coming up, it's really exciting for us over the next year and next couple of months as we get everybody back and everybody's fired up and excited and committed to what we're planning to do and uh, with some of the additional employees that are going to be coming in to, to help us have that edge. 
we are really looking forward to a strong year this next year. Um, so, you know, with that, and then like I'd mentioned, the women's team coming back, um, we're just firing on all pistons and excited about next year. Would be remiss, John, if I didn't just mention, in case you're not aware, as you're trying to fill out Pablo's coaching staff, there's a coach about 40 miles south of here uh, that donned the captain's armband for a number of years for RSL. I, I wonder, and I know initially when some of this stuff went down with Freddie, there were conversations with Kyle, Kyle Beckerman. And knowing Kyle a little bit, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he simply wants to be the head coach and run a program his way. But any conversations about maybe bringing Kyle, who still lives here locally, to sit next to Pablo on the bench? You know, that would be so cool if we could figure that out. And, and Kyle is doing a phenomenal job uh, down at UVU. And, you know, like I've mentioned about Jason and others, we, we will only be better if we can bring back the talent that uh, we've had in this club that got us that championship in 2009 and Kyle being a big part of that. But at, at this point right now, I know Kyle's super happy doing what he's doing, and I know he's, you know, fired up to be that coach, and we talk all the time. But, you know, we'll, we'll see if that opportunity ever gets a chance to present itself. But I know he's super happy uh, doing what he's doing right now. I wonder, John, and there, there may be nothing here. If there's no meat on the bone, we can move on. Um, you know, Jason, Jason Christ is a guy who has never – built a club uh he has made a living as a coach a player before that and pablo you know of course um those two know each other and I, I just have to wonder whether or not you have any thoughts on how that dynamic could work for a guy in jason who was here as a manager won a trophy and is known as a coach but won't be on the bench and how that could work with pablo two guys that clearly will have very strong ideas knowing them both i wonder if you have thoughts on how that dynamic could work well, you know, Spence, it was your dad that taught me a lot about just getting the right people on the bus. And you get really good talent on the bus, and everybody collaborates and is vulnerable and transparent about what they can bring to the table and who they are and what they can contribute. We're going to find a way to be successful. So as we look at new people and as we look to fill, you know, new assistant coaches and different roles. Um, you know, we're just going to get better. And then I think working with Tony and Kurt and what a great job they do, and we'll figure out who has strengths where and who fits where, and we'll collaborate and work together. And that's how I think we're going to build a great, successful team. Finally, John, as you know, one of the uh, real uh, pillars of the initial plans for Rio Tinto Stadium, now America First Field, was other events outside of soccer games to fill the place. Obviously, it's part of the business model, but part of the community portion of this, too. And you did announce that Kenny Chesney is coming back. Uh, you know, he played a show there back in the day that was a lot of fun. So I wonder if you have any insight on that, whether or not concerts could be consistent. And then finally, if you can get my producer, Porter, a backstage pass so he can meet Uncle Cracker. <laughs> Well, you know, you were talking earlier about your tank top, and I know you also are a big fan and own a pair of white boots. So your tank top, your white boots, and your, you know, your Daisy Dukes, I think are going to fit very nicely coming to the Kenny Chesney concert done on and done. July 16th. Done and done, John. So, yeah, you remember that show. It was 
a huge success. We're very excited about bringing big shows back to this building. America First Field, there's just no better place on a summer night to see a concert or a sporting event. And I can't think of a better way than Kenny Chesney and um, Uncle Cracker to welcome, welcome people back to our building. So we're very excited about that. We've seen some great success. Tickets are blowing out with uh, Christmas coming. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And, and we're actually really fired up to, to bring back big shows. So can you arrange for Porter to meet Uncle Cracker? That's the just, just you know, that's that's the bottom line here. Well, he'll have to get coffee for Trey first, Done. but I think we can see what we can do. Done. All right, brother. Appreciate the time. I know you got a lot of work to do, so I'll let you go, and we'll chat soon. Be good, okay? All right. Thanks, Spence. How pumped would you be if I was able to arrange a meet and greet with just you and the crack dog, <laughs> just you and Uncle Cracker, hanging out backstage doing your thing? Uncle Cracker. That's, that's, a, that's a blast from the past for sure. That's like my middle school playlist. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say no. We have Andy next. Let's do a little Uncle Cracker, Uncle Cracker coming in next because I know we had one like hit. Well, right? I think the the Kenny Chesney song that went super big was with Uncle Cracker. Oh. Sun goes down. No, we we can't let him latch on to the chest dog. We have to do a little. I think that's literally what they uh, what they did though. There is one Uncle Cracker song that came out. I want to say two thousand two thousand one. It actually was like, I mean, it sucked. It's Uncle Cracker, but it, like, it was a hit, you know. So let's do that next, Deal. You got it. You got All right. it. Little Uncle Cracker on the way. The RSL Insiders brought to you by Beer Bar, our good friends at Beer Bar right downtown. It's the best spot for, well, any watch party, RSL watch party. They got Apple TV, over 50 beers on tap. 150, it's called Follow Me. Yeah, that's, see, I that's knew it. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. 150 uh, bottle and canned beers, too. Fresh brats, sausages. Great spot right downtown Salt Lake. Uh, so special thanks to our good friends at Beer Bar. All right, two hours down, two hours to go. We're going to bring in Andy Larson coming up next. Then Kyle Bonagirl will stop by for some college football. Tim McMahon in the 5 o'clock hour for some NBA. And then we'll say goodnight at 6 right here on ESPN 700. You don't know how you met me. You don't know why you can't turn around and say goodbye. All you know is when I'm with you, I make you free and swim through your veins like a fish in the sea. I'm singing, follow me. I'm so mad that you found it. I told you there was one hit. I told you there was one Uncle Cracker hit. Did, did you find the year? Is this like, it's, I feel like it's like 2000, 2001. Ooh, I can go, I can go double check. But uh, yeah, that's, that sounds like the, the right, uh, right time frame. Yeah, 2000. So okay. turn of the, uh, turn of the century, but uh, not great. But I can tell you, I definitely know every word of this song. Yeah, that sounds right. He was like a sidekick for Kid Rock for a while. And then after Kid Rock blew up because America, uh, Cracker decided to do his own thing. I, th I think I'm remembering that correctly. They did kind of, uh, as you mentioned, the, the Kenny Chesney stuff. They made a song with him and then started touring with him. Ah, okay. And I think uh, got bigger and bigger that way. There's an Andy Larson Uncle Cracker joke, but I don't want to get canceled, so I'm going to leave that aside. And we'll bring in our next, our next guest, our guy Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. Andy, uh, we, of course, are talking about the big news that next summer Kenny Chesney is coming into town and Porter's favorite artist, Uncle Cracker, is supporting him. Are you excited for this? I'm, wow. Uh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not excited about it. I'm did, sorry. did I just render Andy Larson speechless? This has never happened before. This is a historic day, Andy. I got I got no Kenny Chesney jokes. Uh, I have no Uncle Cracker jokes. I'm not excited. You know, it's cool that there's a concert at Rio Tinto, I guess. Or America First Stadium, sorry. Uh, but, yeah, whatever. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Moving on from that, Andy. Uh, you know what? While we're in the space, before we do jazz, I want your reaction as our resident RSL fan uh, to the not just the front office shuffling where Elliot, after 17 years with the club, is out, and Kurt Schmidt has been promoted, some extra responsibilities for Tony Beltran, but rumors that in some roller capacity, Jason Christ is making a return to our market. What do you make of all this? Yeah, and you know, not only that, but Jason Christ was sitting next to uh, Ryan Smith and Justin Zanuck at the Jazz game on Saturday, you know, so it seems extremely, you know, it's likely that he's going to be returning and, and you know, they, they put him in a front row seat as, as a result. I'll, I'll be interested to see kind of in what role, um, you know, is that an, as an assistant coach, is that as an assistant GM, is that as a scout, um, you know, is that uh, someone above Kurt Schmidt, I think would be kind of a uh, unique decision would be an interesting move, but Hey, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think, uh, Jason's had a really varied career since leaving RSL with some significant ups and significant downs. Um, but he does have a really good knowledge, I think, of American soccer and kind of the the people and, and resources within it as a result. And so I think there is a lot to be said for adding him to the organization based on that knowledge and based on that know-how. And then also, you know, you hope that uh, he can, contri- you know, contribute to kind of the culture of the club kind of returning to the the good old days if you will and um you know certainly he was a large part of that and you know i think rsl fans will be excited to have him around all right andy on uh on a scale of the andy larson whatever the andy larson excitement scale is dominating somebody in fifa uh going out and enjoying (laughs) a beer with friends uh, the nba in-season tournament how is it resonating with you now that we now that we have a sample size yeah, you know, I, I really like it, and I thought the games yesterday were great. I mean, that, that 9-0 run from the Pacers to, to beat the Celtics, you could see kind of the excitement of players, uh, of all the Pacers and their fans, uh, and kind of winning that game and getting that opportunity. I, I thought that was a really cool thing to see and was not the typical December 3rd, you know, or I guess December 4th excitement. I think we saw something more from those players in that moment. I think we saw... Um, kind of the best of basketball, uh, best of regular season basketball as a result of that. So, yeah, I'm I'm stoked on it. You know, I, I think it's gone maybe even better than the NBA expected or hoped and uh, so far has been a worthy uh, experiment. You know, I think there's no way we don't do this again next year and, and for years to come. Um, and, and we'll see if kind of the fans, kind of those reluctant fans kind of get on board maybe they change up the court colors or what have you. Maybe they change up the format of the tournament. So it doesn't use point differential, you know, maybe tweaks can be made, but so far I think it's a, it's a success and maybe makes these games again, just more interesting than they, the regular season games that would normally be going on uh, because of it. All right. Uh, around the league, as you know, and Richard Smith, who joins us in studio every week there, you know, the first benchmark many talk about is 20 games in the NBA. And that's where we're at with the jazz through 20 games, seven and 13, the good and the bad at this first quote unquote benchmark. Andy, what does that sound like today? I, I mean, it's, it's mostly bad. Um, you know, seven and 13 is, it, it's not terrible and it's not unrecoverable, 
but the team is playing worse even than their record kind of when you break it down by the by the analytics because they are getting blown out in so many of these games uh, because they have such a bad record against above 500 teams and so forth. I, I think, uh, you know, it's not, you know, we talked about kind of whether or not the Jazz would beat the over-under of 35 and a half games that Vegas set for them at the beginning of the year. And, and you know, I, I think I thought they would go over. And at this point, I no longer think that because, uh, you know, I, I don't know that they're as talented as their opposition. And it, what kind of the secret sauce of last year's overperformance was that they played together, they played harder, and they, they passed the ball more than their opposition. And so were able to play in games and, and compete in games where they were out-talented. And instead this year, they're not defending well, they're not playing their hardest, and they're not passing the ball very well. Now, you know, they have some good wins over the last week, and, and they had to kind of insert Simone Fontecchio and Omer Yurt 7 into the lineup to, in order to do that. We're seeing good things from Keontae George. I expect good things from Larry Markinen when he returns. Um, you know, it has gotten better recently, but there are still definite names and, and players on this roster who aren't necessarily fitting in with that vision of Will Hardy's and, and the Jazz's. And so, you know, I think ultimately, like, what happens with this team comes down to what tax they take in the trade market and if they want to use some of those assets that they have drastic assets to get better or if they try to sell some of those players to get worse and and kind of go in that direction and 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 we'll see i i don't truly have a good feel on what they do but you know i I think initially yeah in the first 20 games you have to say they're a disappointment over the aggregate so let me ask the question this way, because you just referenced something at the end that's been topical here and probably will be, because as you know, and as we've talked about, and as you wrote about, Bobby Marks comes on the show. He's like, hey, they almost got holiday. I'm like, all right, that should signal some intent and got me kind of excited. What does this look like? Well, now after watching them, they're not one or two pieces away. They're just not. And the West is stacked. So for me, Andy, um, and I've kind of wondered whether or not the marketing thing is like, hey, let's just rest our star. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but for, for me, it's just we've seen – I've seen enough. This is not a group that can compete at a high level every night in the NBA. They're going to rise up occasionally because teams just do that. Uh, but for me, I don't foresee any sort of scenario unless, like, KD and Booker become available where the Jazz can improve themselves to the point by adding one or two pieces that they are legitimately throwing punches every night with some of the best teams in the league. So if you're going to choose a direction, for me, it's just go all in on the pain tolerance and just lose games. That's where I'm at. Where are you at? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a good case for that. Uh, and I guess what I'd say is, uh, you know, I don't know that it, we, we've been kicking around the Zach Levine idea, right? Like, and Zach Levine's kind of interesting. It, the kind of the, the case for Zach Levine is, if you get Zach Levine, then maybe you can convince a third star more easily to join join the Jazz. But as you point out, is that you know, it's, or then you become the Chicago Bulls of the West, essentially where you have Zach Levine, Larry Market, and another third, third good player, and you're still not really a contender. And, I, you know, I think maybe that is one of the lessons of the first 20 games is that, yeah, the Jazz are further away than that, that they aren't just a couple of pieces away or even a couple of stars away. They really need to kind of build up the roster from top to bottom. And, and while there are core pieces here that are useful and, and good and, you know, impact winning, to use the NBA's most, you know, cliche term right now, um, there are a bunch of guys who, who don't, and clearly it, it needs to change. So agreed that like trading down and, and kind of getting rid of some of those assets is, is the easier move. I think that's 
easier said than done because I just don't think there's a lot of interest league-wide in Colin Sexton and Taylor Horton Tucker and John Collins and Jordan Clarkson. Uh, those are, for the most part, guys that the Jazz have tried to trade before and, and were not able to. Um, and, and so, yeah, look, like, I, you know, I think it's uh, that's definitely an option and, and maybe the, the only one that the Jazz have because, you know, I, I think it is true that the Jazz front office, Danny Ainge, et cetera, thinks about this in kind of championship or bust terms. And they are so far away from a championship right now that, yeah, it probably does mean pain tolerance of more years of, of kind of rebuilding to come. What do you think the reaction would be? And you, you've always had a good pulse with Jazz fans. So I, I wonder what you think the reaction would be if we play a little hypothetical and they do this year what they did last year. They do it again. Now, it's, it's different because the vets they moved on from actually did impact winning, to use that same cliche. And I'm not – like, I don't think Horton Tucker does. I'm kind of out on him. Uh, that's not breaking news for me. I've kind of been on that. But I think Olenek does. I think Clarkson does in a way. So let's just say, generally speaking, they get rid of Horton Tucker. They get rid of Olenek. They get, get rid of uh, Clarkson before the trade deadline. And what comes in return are, are more picks indicating that this really and, – and, and I've always said I feel like this is going to be a long haul and it's going to be a slog. I, I don't know why there were certain people in our community who a year ago thought this team was like one year away from being back to legitimate contention. I don't feel that way. I never have. So if the message is sent to the fan base, like we're going to trade away some of our veteran pieces that actually do impact winning and in exchange – I don't know that they, they can get another first-round pick for any of these guys, quite frankly, and nobody's going to pay Collins 25.3 outside of the Jazz. And I understand why they're doing it. But if they do make one or a bevy of moves and in return, because you know, comes more intangible assets, how do you think that lands around here? I think it lands okay. You know, I, I think essentially jazz fans are pretty smart. And when I read, you know, kind of what jazz fans' comments are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Reddit and whatever, uh, on comments of our articles, you name it. The frustration is not that the Jazz are losing games right now, although that's some of it. And I think there's frustration that, you know, uh, Taylor and Colin and, and really just the team is not good enough, right? But I see more frustration in uh, kind of the dichotomy that they're they're doing right now where they are, uh, you know, playing Taylor and Colin, playing Kelly Olenek, playing Jordan Clarkson, you know, these kind of 30-year-old dudes, or and really Taylor's 23, Colin's 25, right? Like, this is not – they're young guys, but it's just kind of whether or not you believe in them in their growth moving forward. But clearly the team is playing veteran guys over their rookies, right, where Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh are in the G League, only recently got the chance to play in the last game. And I think that is kind of frustrating for Jazz fans where, you know, if you did truly – get better assets, allowed the young guys to play and saw what you had and use it as kind of a learning uh, exercise for those guys and a developmental exercise for those guys, then I think jazz fans would be on board. I think what frustrates jazz fans right now is, yeah, that you're using kind of these developmental opportunities on the Kelly Olynyk and Jordan Clarkson's and, and Talons of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that most jazz fans think that those players are going to be part of the next good jazz team. Tell, tell me where you're at with uh, the, the players I mentioned and just generally speaking, what you think uh, they could get in return. Let's, you know, let's go with Horton Tucker. Let's let, let's talk a little. Uh, let, let, let's talk a little Jordan Clarkson. Let's talk a little Kelly Olenek, like the players that other teams may be inquiring about if they feel like they're a piece or two away. Where where are you at with some of these pieces? I'll call them 
non-future building blocks? Yeah, should we go one at a time? Like, Let's do it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I mean, Palin uh, is not, you know, I, I, I think he's young and talented, and I just don't think that he has the right mindset to be a effective winning player. You know, I think uh, he, his jump shot has not improved from this, this year to last year. Uh, it's been the same 30% three-point shot uh, every year of his career. He makes bad decisions on the offensive end, and he's not an impact defender. So, like, to me, uh, you know, it's year five, and I'm pretty out on it. And luckily, you know, he's an expiring contract, and if I don't think there's a market for him at $10 million, but, you know, maybe he's a useful salary in a, uh, in a consolidation trade or something like that. Um, Colin Sexton, I, uh, you know, again, is, is I like him more than Taylor because he tries on defense and he can shoot a little bit. Uh, he makes probably even worse decisions than Taylor does on the offensive end and is not by any means like a defensive IQ guy. He's just a defensive effort guy, you know, basically Pat Beverly without some of the results, frankly. Um, that being said, uh, you know, he is also owed a lot of money for the next three years and uh, more than his contract, more than his on-court play probably says that he is worth. And so I, I would say that there's probably not a lot of league-wide interest in him in the same way there wasn't a lot of league-wide interest in him after his fourth year when the, when the Cavaliers traded him to the Jazz. You know, that was kind of why the Cavs weren't necessarily on board with giving him a long-term extension and uh, they had to wait until late in the year to, to make that, late in the summer to make that trade uh with and you know and it kind of worked out for them to, to get donovan mitchell um but yeah I, you know I, I don't know that there's a lot of league-wide interest there and you know that's an unfortunate one because he is has he does have a long contract i'm throwing john collins in there at, at this point too and, and john collins is a better player than colin sexton is right now i think uh but i i just think that he you just watch the film and he makes so many mistakes and they are mistakes of positional placement they are mistakes of effort they are mistakes of offensive and defensive iq and and i worry about um you know it's early in his jazz career and i think maybe he can start to learn some of this but i i will say that you know i think the coaching staff is relatively disappointed with kind of the the quickness of the uptake there right like they, they kind of hoped a veteran guy would be able to learn and, and lead on and kind of on court positioning and what to do and instead it's been kind of the opposite where the coaches frequently from the sideline have to tell him what play they're running and, and what to do next, right? Like, and, and so that's, that's been tough. Um, he's another guy where, yeah, you're paying him $75 million over the next three years. And so are there other teams avail interested in that? There weren't really when the Atlanta Hawks were trying to trade him and, uh, you know, arguably was kind of, was definitely closer to his last, uh, you know, his best season as a, as a third year player. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that his performance with the Jazz will be will earn him any new uh fans you know the shooting has been good and that's been good to see him kind of react and, and overcome from the the broken finger he suffered last year but everything else to me i guess rebounding he's very good at as well everything else to me is, is kind of in question and i don't think it's a coincidence he has some of the worst plus minus numbers on the team um who else am i forgetting kelly Olynyk. i actually think is kind of a good player yeah. uh but also is a turnstile on the defensive end you know so it's going to be a really particular role and situation with a contending team that he can help. Uh, you know, the Jazz play him because he is a passer, because they need him to kind of create open shots for 
the Jazz's other good finishers, namely Larry Markin and Walker Kessler. Uh, and, you know, but he can't contain and pick and roll defense right now. And, and that makes him a really tough kind of player to play 25 minutes a night. You really would prefer him to be kind of situational on a good team. So, uh, you know, I think there's a possibility that there's something there. You know, I could see like the Celtics being interested in, in kind of expanding their big man r- roster and, and getting someone with familiarity with that, with that team and that system. But like, uh, it's going to be kind of the right situation, and it's not like the Jazz are going to get – I don't think the Jazz are going to get like a first-round pick in return for Linux. What about Clarkson? Where are you at right now with Clarkson? I, part of me always felt like he was signed to be traded, but there's no way of knowing that. Where are you at with Clarkson right now? Yeah, it, you know, has been another guy where I think the um, – it's it's been disappointing to see the difference between what he was last year and what he is this year, and less so in like a – hey, he's uh, declined as a player because he's over 30 now, though he is. I think it's that he, you know, last year was such a good soldier in terms of learning to pass, learning to play make, getting his teammates involved and not uh, over-dribbling. And this year he has over-dribbled and has taken a lot of bad shots and uh, was a big part of the Jazz problems in some of their big losses. Now, that being said, he also had some really good games in which he was a big part of why the Jazz won. And even showed some defensive chops in that win against the Clippers very early on in the year. So it's like, you know, with, with Jordan, I think it's kind of a matter of kind of mental approach to it and whether or not he wants to kind of play team basketball or whether he wants to kind of do kind of fall into what he's used to, which is Jordan Clarkson's six man mentality. Um, I am curious to see whether or not that changes. The good thing with his contract is it's a declining one, and yes, it's a new extension, but it's it's not for that much money. Um, I do think that there's a world in which, yeah, a contender does see him as a six-man answer, and he really can be kind of like a all-in-one kind of bench offensive scorer that, that makes the bench better than it should be. I mean, look at what he did with the good Jazz teams two, three, four years ago. So. I think there's there's maybe more of a I don't want to say demand for him because again the Jazz have tried to trade be you know have trade conversations with about him in the past and and haven't gotten what they wanted but uh, you know I think that there is a way that maybe a contender does find him interesting. Is there any way? And personally, I don't think so. But I'm not in those rooms, so I don't know. And there was a, I, I saw it on social because I think our guy TJ was getting into it with him. Uh, somebody pontificating on the possibility of maybe they kick the tires on Markinen. I, I don't think that's a thing. But is there any scenario if they've analyzed this and they believe it's as bad as a lot of people do, do you think there's a package out there that would motivate them, realistically, of course, Andy, to, to move on from Lowry Markinen? It would have to be a really good package. You know, I, I think Lowry is like one of the really good things that this team has going. And yes, he's got a year and a half left on the deal. So you don't want to make, uh, you know, if, if you feel like he's going to walk, uh, then, yeah, you explore that trade. But I think you can explore that trade at the trade deadline next year if, if that turns out to be the situation and uh, not lose a lot of value. I, I think ultimately what I see from, from him, you know, especially is that he, because, you know, he had so much success under Will Hardy in a Jazz uniform, he really truly does like it in Utah. Uh, you know, he's got a young family that, that really likes living here. He, he's very comfortable in Utah, and he's, you know, been in situations where that hasn't been the case and knows that, you know, that's not something to take for granted. I think he's probably the kind of star to keep around, even if the team is 
bad as re, you know even if the team is bad even if the team you know uh is is a few years away from really contending because he is, you know, a good organizational soldier and such a good player that you, I think it's it's probably best to keep him around. Uh, I think the front office feels that way as well, you know, and it would take kind of a, a change in how Lowry feels about the Jazz for them to make a change in uh, whether, you know, they should trade him or, you know, a truly crazy trade offer in return, which I don't think that the Jazz are really going to get. A couple Wednesdays ago when the Jazz were in Portland uh, watching that game, um, you know, I texted a buddy. I said, this is as bad as anything we've had here since maybe Ty Corbin's last year. And I was curious to see how Will was going to handle it. And after the game, from my vantage point, Andy, you're at a lot more of those things than I am. That was as, like, demonstrative and maybe even angry as I've seen Will. Since then, uh, the lineup changes with Fontecchio and Yurt 7, which caught me off guard. But they've been better than I thought that they could ever be, quite frankly, and since then, they have won three of five. Has it changed anything? Do they look better? Is it just kind of some bad teams they're playing? Like, did Will find anything at all with Yurt Seven and Fontecchio in the starting lineup? It's definitely, you know, I, I think an improvement. And I, I think more than anything, it's a, hey, if you, even if you are Simone Fontecchio and Omer Yurt Seven, who are kind of fringe NBA guys, because they pass and because they play hard, they have brought the Jazz to some wins that, you know, they weren't getting with the normal players out there. Um, and, and, you know, Will has said he was angry after that game, that he was pretty demonstrative and confrontational in film sessions afterwards. He changed the starting lineup to start, again, fringe NBA guys over kind of more bigger traditional names, um, which I think was extremely notable and I think uh, has been a, a, actually a big part of their success. I will say that I'm not a big believer in the New Orleans Pelicans uh, before they got their guys back from injury, and they just lacked both the Blazers and the Pelicans lacked shooting, and so uh, they could kind of defend the paint. They could help a lot and not get kind of burned in the way that uh, Minnesota ended up running them, and you know a good offensive team would. We'll see some of those over the next couple of weeks, but like. Yeah, they have played better. I think there are kind of lessons to take for that from the other guys, and we'll see kind of what happens when everyone gets healthy and, and kind of plays in their consistent roles. But, like, it, it has been better, and, and I, I don't want to say that, uh, you know, that's forever. I don't know that, like, Simone and Omer can put up 60 more games of these kind of performances because I think that's, that's going to be kind of hard for them to, to, to ask for them to do. But, uh, I, you know, I think it was really revealing kind of how Will reacted in that moment, both in the, the press conferences and in the, in the decisions he's made since. All right. Um, you know, there are some fun things happening. There are some exciting young players, uh, both in the mix and hopefully playing in them in playing themselves into the mix. Keontae and Taylor are in different spots because Keontae has uh, he's been healthier, first of all. So we had a summer league, a training camp, and now he's played a lot of minutes. Uh, with the Jazz, of course, is their starting lead guard now. And then we saw Taylor with the Jazz after uh, some pretty exciting things happening in, in the G League. Before I set you loose, your thoughts on those two players so far this year? Yeah, you know, Keontae is pretty impressive. Uh, is better in, in making decisions and kind of setting his, teams up, his team up than I, I thought he would be, certainly as a rookie. His vision is much better than I thought he would be um, maybe ever in his career, uh, which is Really impressive to see after what he did at Baylor. Uh, he and, and honestly, his defense, which was awful in summer league, has looked pretty good in in the NBA regular season. He's really kind of brought that up. 
He's using his body to stop guys in, in isolation. Like, I've been wildly impressed with Keontae George. The only thing is the shot's not falling right now, and I'm kind of more confident in his shot long-term in the NBA than I am about any other kind of facet of his game. Uh, I think he's a very good shooter, and I think he can make a variety of shots and has good form, and, and there's no reason he shouldn't be able to shoot well over the course of his career. So I think he's a real building block for the Jazz, and, and I think it's a, a real win for the Jazz to have, have gotten him in the draft where they did. Uh, Taylor Hendricks is an interesting one where his, his G League stats have not been awesome, but they have significantly gotten better over the course of the three weeks he's been there. You know, they, he's clearly playing better now than he did two, three weeks ago, um, which is really encouraging growth to see. He still doesn't really know where to be on the floor. He's still a little bit stiff in his movements. He's still a little bit kind of like scared to make the big play sometimes because I think he just wants to do the right thing all the time. Uh, but he was pretty good in, in the Jazz game against Portland. Not, nothing like special, right? Shot two for seven. Uh, the shot is definitely a work in progress, and it's not something that he's hitting consistently in practice to like NBA standards, but uh, there's a lot to, to build on there, and you see that he has real tools. So like, while I was disappointed that he wasn't ready for NBA minutes right away as a top 10 pick. And, and uh, he looked as raw as he did in the, in the games that he's played both at the NBA and the G league level. I have been encouraged by how quickly he's developed over the course of just the month of November. And uh, you know, I think the jazz continued to their plan is to continue to play him in the G league until the roster changes, frankly. But um until then, you know, he, he has gained so much in, in his G League experience that I think that's probably a good call because, he, yeah, he just does look like a better player now than he did at the beginning of the year. All right, Andy. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, brush up on that Uncle Cracker knowledge so we can get some good uh, tidbits <laughs> next week. And uh, have a good week, man. We'll chat soon, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, Ben. Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. You can see all of his coverage up on the website, sltrib.com, or get him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson is where you find him. All right, we're going to bring in Kyle Bonagura coming up next. Some good college football conversation with Kyle. Before we catch a break, we welcome in Ryan from the Dish Pros, 801-424-DISH. College football bowl season, the rest of the NFL, and NBA basketball, including the Jazz, all in one spot. Ryan, what's going on, buddy? Hey, this is uh, what we do. Call us up and let us help you. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, customers right now taking advantage of this gift card solution we have. You get set up with a, a new customer. You switch providers and you get a gift card of two three hundred dollars we also have um a great promotion that lasts for the next uh two years so prices guaranteed movie channels credits you're going to get a uh, a ton of cool stuff when you make the switch plus better equipment and also we can help with internet uh, internet is a big deal right now because uh, i think a lot of people out there aren't getting what they want or they're getting significantly overcharged guys 50 bucks a month um, that's the product that we have. And I'm talking $50. That's the total number getting charged to the credit card. Call us up and make the switch. There's a lot more services out there. We can help you get the best uh, service that fits your needs. And, uh, guys, if you get better Internet and uh, for a lot less money, that's a win. That's money in your pocket. Call us. Let us help you. 424-DISH, 801-424-DISH. All right, Kyle Bonagura stops by next right here on ESPN 700.
so proud of you today. You actually did learn that there's a, another Grateful Dead song besides Touch of Grey. I'm so proud of you. To be clear, to be clear, mm. my knowledge of the uh, the Dead discography is vast. Would you um, Would you rather see the Dead or Uncle Cracker? If you had a chance. Come on. All right. All right. Come on, come no, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But um, our uh, our radio station. Um, it, discography of the dead is is not quite vast, but uh, we we make do, and it's not quite gray today. It's actually a nice day here in Salt Lake. It actually is. All right, time now for our weekly conversation with our resident dead fan and college football and soccer expert, Kyle Bonagero. On a Tuesday, what's going on, Kyle? How are you? I'm doing great. I always puts me in the right mood having the dead song come on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No doubt. All right, Kyle. People are mad this week. People are mad. Uh, people are really mad. And, you know, this is one of those conversations. We talked about it yesterday and I've continued to talk about it where I, I, I get a lot of different sides. And the whole question, like, did the committee get it right? Well, with the format, there's no right. That's the problem. If it was Florida State over Bama, we'd have people crying about the four best teams aren't in. And it's always four deserving or four best. They change the criteria all the time. So I'll simply ask you your thoughts of what was revealed on Sunday with the CFP. Yeah, you could, could see this coming, right? You knew someone was going to be mad, especially with the way the results broke on, on, on Saturday. But I've been writing this for years, that this format has just never made any sense. You have five you know, so-called power conferences. You have five other conferences who are purportedly also uh, FBS-level uh, s- schools and teams, right? And you have a, a so-called playoff that has four teams. It, it, it never m- made any sense. And... I like to look at it like this. If you were to if you were to create a sporting competition, right? You're like, all right, we're going to start this new thing, pick the sport, it doesn't matter, and we'll have 130 teams. We'll play a regular season at the end. We'll we'll just pick the four best. No one would ever start a sport like that. It just makes absolutely no sense to do it that way. Of, of course, we all know how it evolved to that because of the bowl system, but it's just it it, it was never fair. It was always the, the potential for for this. Um, always existed and in a way it really contributed you know kind of in our lens here on the west coast really contributed to a lot of the issues that the pac-12 have had over the last decade i mean the fact that the conference was was rarely relevant in the college football playoff playoff discussion because of the four-team format um was a a big reason that the media rights declined a a big reason that a lot of high level recruits weren't as interested in playing in the, the conference because of the perception that it wasn't as good and now all of a sudden, the the long the, the issues that have always been there are kind of at the surface and affect the rest of the country. And in in there's a very clearly a grieved team. Um, now people are talking about it, right? But this is just kind of it, it, the best thing that could have happened is that this would happen in the first or second year, and people would have acknowledged that yeah, maybe this isn't the best way to to to, to crown a champion. So what? I don't know that I've ever asked you this. Next year, we're going to get 12. I've said for a while, and I've said this week, I feel like the FCS has the model. I really do, but FBS thumbs their nose at that. What? What's the preferred solution, Kyle, in your opinion, to all of this chaos? Yeah, I mean, it depends on you who you ask, I suppose. Like, if there's, I don't think there's a consensus. For me personally, like, look, at, I love the FCS model. Um, it, it allows a lot of really high stakes games at the end of the year that I think everyone is really looking for. Every other sport uses a more robust playoff system. The, the college basketball tournament is the most exciting thing going in, in college sports. And it has 64, 68 teams, I guess, with the, with the play in deal. Um, 
it, it, for me, the 12 is a significant upgrade, but it's also just a power five tournament too, right? I mean, uh, I think it's unfortunate that college football, you know, at the FBS level is kind of reduced to that because I think there's a lot of really exciting football being played at the group of five level too. And, and for me, either make it, you know, expand it and give automatic bursts to all conference, conference champions, which I think makes sense and you can do it. The FCS level shows you can do it. Or just break it off and have two divisions, right? Have the have a tournament for the Power Five teams or the Power Four, I, I guess, going going forward, and then have another playoff for the rest of the teams in the subdivision. Because you know, right now what we have in the postseason is you have like a you know a, a Sun Belt rest of the country challenge in these meaningless bowl games that people are opting out of, and we have we have players opting out of. Uh, the Rose Bowl last year, right? The fact that that's a thing pretty much shows that players who aren't in the playoff don't really care about the postseason. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see it expand or have another layer added to it. But I do think the 12 will will get all the teams that have a legit claim to be the best in the country to be uh, to be in the mix. Do you have any insight? And look, we're the affiliate out here. I know who signs your paycheck, so I don't want to be overly harsh on networks, but I am a, a grown-up, and I understand that there's a big thing here when it comes to wanting people to turn on the TV and keep the TV on. But I, I was talking about the FCS model the other day, yesterday, and how I believe it to be a perfect model for FBS just to adopt and co-opt. Uh, I had a buddy reach out. I was like, why won't they do it? And I don't have any insight as to why FBS is so hesitant to adopt a model uh, that I suppose they perceive to be below them because it's not the same brand. of. I, I have no idea. Like, what's wrong with it? Why won't the FBS lean into it? That's a great question. And I think it's just the, the – it's usually the simplest explanation is that change is hard, right? You have a system that has existed for, you know, 100 years or whatever it's been, and uh, it's tough to create – to get everyone on the same page. I mean, you have – Keep in mind, too, like you have a, a lot of government entities, like university schools, right, in different, you know, in a bunch of states. And you have a bunch of stakeholders with competing interests. To get everyone to agree um, on two plus two is hard, right, let alone revamping the entire structure of the, the most popular sports postseason. So I think that's, like, the simplest reason. Um, people talk about, oh, you know, there's so much money and, t- and the TV factors in and all that. And, like, of course TV factors in. I think anyone can – look at the landscape and understand that's the case. And of course the the media partners are going to have a say in that. But the part that I don't understand is if you go like, we all understand like people watch bowl games and they love bowl games and they rate really highly for ESPN. And um, that's, that's a fact. And we're talking about games that people don't care about, right? There's no stakes in these low tier bowls where players are sitting out and um, you know, Red, you know, guys are getting opportunities at the end just to work towards next year. Like the bowl system isn't what it used to be, and so my kind of counter to yeah, like yeah, the ratings are good for those bowls. Like imagine what the ratings would be like for games that actually mattered, right? And were inclusive of a larger uh, a- a amount of teams, um, just in terms of like a playoff, right? Like the stakes would be so high for all of those games. You would get, I would estimate, a much bigger audience for. For a, for a real postseason. So, yeah, like, it's hard to, you know, you have to acknowledge that the TV makes a difference, but I feel like even for TV it would be better. It's better for, for everyone other than the bowl entities, right? The people who run all these bowls and make a lot of money on those bowls, like, they have a voice as well, and they lobby and they politic and all of that stuff happens 
too. So, so, so those are really the only people that are advocating like actively to preserve the status quo. Yeah. Well said. All right. Um, moving on to some actual football. Uh, you know, I, I thought the PAC 12 championship game was a perfect way for this conference to go out. Now I don't want the conference to go out. You and I have talked about this. Interesting. The line settled at about 10 and most of our guests last week, I believe, including you, Kyle, felt like that was almost disrespectful to a Washington team that had not had a loss. They had to explain away and had won uh, the first matchup between these two teams. I thought Oregon would win. Full disclosure, that was my pick. But Washington pulls it off 34-31. Takeaways. Yeah, I think uh, I think we talked about, like, I thought Oregon is like a three-point favorite going to that game was was probably fine if you just look at the last how the, how the teams had played for the last you know six weeks, but yeah, ten, like nine and a half, ten just was was ridiculous. Um, and it proved you know proved to be true. Um, but yeah, I think look, I think where you have to point you know assign credit here, I guess. Look, Kalen DeBoer's just one at a high level everywhere he's ever been. Comes in with the right game plan week to week, and yeah, they haven't been winning by you know double digits throughout the season, but now they've won twenty games in a row. Um, hot start I thought was was really important Penix is a guy who uh, I think his confidence has wavered a bit down the stretch and you know as soon as they were able to to build a lead early and get off to that, that that first drive really set the tone for, for for him to be able to kind of uh you know play play or place play from a place of confidence I thought was was really important um but yeah, throughout the whole game, it just felt like the, it was a play calling mismatch. I thought Tosh Lapoy really got out schemed. Uh, Ryan Grubbs as good as an offensive coordinator as there as there is uh, in the country. I'm sure he'll like you know Alabama tried to hire him away last year for good reason. His stock is only up now, and I have to imagine at some point he'll be a he'll be at a head coach not just at a at a D1 school, but one of the one of the better schools that become calling you know maybe as soon as next year. Right? Before we get to the Washington side of this and what they have coming up next, I, I, I will be stubborn, and I still believe Oregon is one of the best teams in college football. Washington beat them twice, period, end of story. But the Fiesta Bowl against Liberty, all due respect to Liberty and what they've accomplished, Oregon at this point I believe is a 17-point favorite. We don't know who's going to play. My understanding is Bo Nix will. Uh, that's what Yogi Roth shared yesterday. But uh, what do you make of where the Oregon Ducks find themselves with their bowl destination? Yeah, it's a brutal, it's a brutal turn of events for Oregon because you have you, you, it probably wouldn't have worked out this way because we saw what happened with the selection committee. But like, I think if Oregon had beaten Washington, they went into that game expecting that that would be enough to go to the playoff, right? So you you wake up on Friday expecting to go to the playoff if you're Oregon, and then you know a, a couple of days later you're going to the Fiesta Bowl against. Liberty, you know, congrats to them for going undefeated this year, but, you know, didn't play any Power 5 teams, ranked, you know, 22nd, 23rd, something like that. Not a lot of motivation there for, for Oregon. And, and Nick's was a little bit dismissive about playing immediately after the game, but then he did say, um, or I guess Dan Lanning said yesterday that Nick's was, was planning on playing. So that's, you know, that bodes well for, for Duck fans and the team and all that. But, yeah, it's 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 baffling to me that, Oregon would get that draw as the top ranked team, um, you know, one of the, as a, as a single digit ranked team, right? You have Florida state and Alabama's game was um, predetermined by the, the, the rules of a bowl season. So they had to play based on the final rankings. Um, and then the rest of them were at large is um, and the fact that they paired 
Oregon with Liberty. It doesn't make any sense to me. Liberty has to travel all the way. I, I mean, I knew Oregon would be in the Fiesta Bowl. I just thought they would get someone like Missouri or, you know, maybe Penn State, someone like that. There's the – maybe they tried to avoid a, a Big Ten Pac-12 matchup just because they're going to be in the same league next year with Oregon and Penn State. So maybe like that's kind of what I was thinking in, in terms of pairing them with an SEC school, either, you know, it could have been Ole Miss, could have been Missouri. Um, but I know it's disappointing for Oregon fans because that doesn't feel like a high stakes game at all. Um, I, I reached out to the Fiesta Bowl to get, to get some clarification about, about how it happened and haven't heard back, but I, I know that they were, uh, they were kind of fearing this was a possibility down there um, in Arizona because Liberty certainly doesn't carry the the same intrigue as any of the other options. All right, Washington gets Texas. Uh, I was hoping maybe the Rose Bowl for them, but they're going to head down to New Orleans to play in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. Texas is an early four-point favorite. What do you make of the Washington side of this, what they have in front of them? I'm really excited for that one. I think, you know, Texas left a, a pretty strong impression against Oklahoma State. Um, of course, they have, you know, from – for my money, the best win of the, the college football season, beating Alabama by ten on the road early in the year is is, is the obvious caveat there. But they've been they've been good the last several weeks. Uh, it's interesting, right? You, they, they played last year in you know, in the bowl game, so there's a little bit of familiarity there. Of course, you have Sark as a as a West Coast guy, having you know got his head coaching start at Washington. So there's a lot of like interesting uh, storylines here. Right, I like I like Washington still. I mean, I, it kind of goes back to the same reason as as I kind of like them, you know, or at least thought they were disrespected by the line against Oregon. Look, this is a team that's won 20 games in a row. The Pac-12 was objectively a better conference than the Big 12 this year. Um, I think there's, you know, I, I, Vegas isn't predicting the score as much as they are predicting where the money is going to go, right? And I think that there's some uh, the brand carries a lot of weight in those um, in those situations. Uh, we knew that Vegas didn't really value Texas or didn't really value Washington based off last week, right? The, the nine and a half. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's when you get to this point in the season, like I think what's a little bit uh, unfortunate about like the, the way that this playoff kind of sorted out is that like, because you have a controversy with Florida state, it does take away a, a little bit, I think from, from the games, because for me, it should have been, Michigan one, Washington two, Florida State three, and Texas four. That's what I had projected. That's what I thought was like made sense from a competitive standpoint. Alabama had its chance. Uh, they they lost to Texas. So um, you know, for me, it should have been Florida State. Even though if they were playing heads up, um, I, I would pick Alabama. I think it's just again a problem with the format more than anything else. Uh, but yeah, I, I think to kind of circle back, I think like, I'm really excited about this game because there are it's an exciting game. The other game is, should be great, Alabama, Michigan. It really sets up to be you know probably the highest rated uh, playoff um, in history, and that you know people are going to use that for justification that the committee got it right or or, or whatever. Like those are separate issues for me. Um, you just have so many good teams this year that appear to be pretty even. I mean, I think there's been several years where there's been a significant discrepancy between the, you know, one and four. And I just don't think that's the case this year. All right, Kyle, let's put a little bow on the Utah season, the team that you picked to win the PAC 12. And we all hoped would they, we know the deal, man. They were never even close to healthy, never even close. And I'm not an excuse guy, but when it's like this, you have to uh, kind of keep it in mind. Their four losses were to the four best teams in the conference. Certainly. I think we all know that now and their reward will be a Vegas bowl against Northwestern team. That's had a chaotic year and they've, 
actually bounced back. David Braun did a good job. They had a fire, Pat Fitzgerald, all the hazing stuff. And the Vegas Bowl will hold some intrigue around here because it's like a four-hour drive. So I actually do think Ute fans will show. Uh, but now that the season is in the rear view, your thoughts on the Utah football season and then your thoughts on their bowl game. Yeah, it was uh, incomplete, right, for Utah. The, the injuries really prevent any meaningful kind of takeaways about the, about the season. You look at the defense, and, you know, the defense was mostly unaffected, right? They were one of the better defenses in, in college football. But, you know, when you're saddled with an offense that, that just can't keep up, uh, that's not the formula to, to defend the title, certainly. Um, but the fact that they went through the injuries that they did and here they are still in one of the better bowl games that the Pac-12 is tied to, you know, it's, you can you can take something from that. And, of course, like you said, Vegas is a good destination, especially with free fans who can drive there. And, and look, Vegas is a, is a great bowl destination. I was there for the for the Pac-12 title game. It's, you know, it's easy to get in and out. It's uh, the, the stadium is close to all the hotels. It's a great stadium, great atmosphere. Um, you know, it's always a little bit, tough to predict what those uh what the atmosphere is going to be like northwestern doesn't have um the biggest fan base it's a it's a pretty small school being a private school so yeah like northwestern's a like you said they had a had a nice season it kind of teams that moved in opposite directions right utah started with the highest of the expectations and, and northwestern it was like let's try to win the game here right but they were able to, to kind of put things on the right track and uh, turn into a pretty good story all right, Kyle, before I say you lose, what's the old saying? Smile because it happened, don't cry because it's it's done. And nobody died, but the Pac-12 is done. So I'm just wondering now that it is officially in the rear view with the bowl season ahead. And, yes, there are other sports. Don't want to, you know, be insensitive to the teams that are playing and will still play, and that network will still uh, live on until the spring uh, is what I'm told. But now that Pac-12 football is done, will you miss it? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll miss it for sure. And this is, and I've said this before, maybe even with you, is that like it, it, the the Pac-12 and Pac-10 before that really just shaped my college football experience my whole life. And you kind of get used to these, the, you get used to the matchups, right? You get used to, you know, everyone in the in the conference, and it's a little bit different from Utah. I've only been in for you know a, a, about a decade, but Utah really warmed. It was like a perfect fit, you know, with the conference. I thought they. You know, they from from day one they 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 fit in the conference probably much much better than Colorado even did. Um, and to have to to not have games like UCLA Cal and uh, you know Washington State Oregon and Arizona UCLA like there's a lot of games that aren't necessarily like rivalry games but ones that you always look forward to. I mean, it's weird that Cal and Stanford. We're not going to the ACC. I mean, it's 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 going to be an awkward transition as a fan of the teams from 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 all the schools, really, because it um, it'll be fun. You know, the first couple of years, like with these, you know, you'll get what feels like a lot of high profile, like non conference type opponents, right? And and that'll be fun for, for a little bit, but eventually, you know, college football should be a, a regional sport. And I'm still kind of holding out in the back of my head that, you know, in, uh, you know, however many years it takes, there's, uh, you know, people can figure out that that's how the sport should be structured. Maybe the, there's an elite division one at the top or whatever. And then it kind of goes back geographically because I'm going to, I'm going to miss it. And I'll never hide that. I just think that there was so many failures from university presidents to obviously commissioners and several others along the way that allowed this to happen. It, it shouldn't have happened. It didn't have to happen, but 
here we are and college football is college football. We'll move on. We'll, we'll have fun next year and we'll continue to love the sport, but it is, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's sad more than anything else. All right, my guy. Well, I appreciate the time. I understand you're going to be at MLS Cup, so enjoy that experience, and uh, we'll get you back on again soon, man. Safe travels, okay? Sounds good, too. All right, Kyle Bonnegur covers college football and soccer for ESPN. Get him on Twitter at Bonnegur. ESPN is where you find him. All right, college football bowl season. It's here. Hopefully, I have access to all the channels. NFL football, plenty left. Jazz just started. NBA, too. All of that in one spot. You can get it and save money and get new equipment by dialing 801-424-DISH. What's going on, Ryan? Just that easy, you know, call us up and get all of the games in one place. Keep it easy. And uh, how about so cheaper, too? That's the best part is if we can make your bill less than what it currently is and then guarantee it doesn't change, that's always a good thing. Uh, listen, call us up if you're not getting the games you want. You can't watch the Jazz games, can't record them. Call us up. Let's get, you know, set up with the system. There's a 180-channel <clears throat> package with Dish. It's like give it about $80 a month. We can touch up with that. Um, you can watch TNT. You'll have uh, access to all the ESPNs. You can watch all the jazz games, and you can record them all, plus watch the bowl games. Call us up today and take advantage of this promotion. Get the best DVR out there. And uh, ask about the gift card solutions we have between two and $300 if you make the switch over to either Dish or DirecTV. There's different uh, promotions for each provider. Both of them are offering a two-year promotion, two-year price guarantee, and always, guys, the internet, this probably makes our phone ring more than anything. 50 bucks a month. That's what uh, this internet services that we're offering. And I know a lot of you are spending double that. So call us up and take advantage of the uh, upgrade and get a better, uh, better internet for cheaper. And I say $50 a month. That's the actual amount that gets charged on your auto pay. Call us today and take advantage of that. You'll, you won't uh, know unless you call if it's available for you. 424-DISH, 801-424-3474. All right, three hours down, one hour to go. Keep it right here on a Tuesday on ESPN 700. Suntan tickling the sand. Wait, is this the crack dog? Or is this Kenny Chesney? Who is this? Both. This is Kenny Chesney and the Crack Dog, Uncle Cracker. Wow, that's a lot of energy to take in. Yeah, this is the uh, the duo song I was I was mentioning. It sounds like his Follow Me song. It's like the same cadence, whatever. Yeah, I I don't know that you get much range with our our friends, Uncle Cracker. Hey, you watch your mouth when you're talking about my guy, the Crack Dog. I'm just saying. Just saying. That's fair. All right, NBA in season tournament tonight. Uh, of course, football quiet for a few days before Thursday night football rolls around. Uh, tonight, you're going to have the Knicks and the Bucks going on right now uh, from five serve in Milwaukee, and then the Suns and the Lakers late night game. Phoenix shorthanded. The uh, Lakers are a favorite at home uh, for the honor of going to Las Vegas. There's some good college basketball on tonight, including BYU playing Evansville. BYU off to their best start since 2010. They're seven and zero, and a bunch of good uh, big time. National matchups, Carolina, UConn at the Garden for Jim Valvano night. So if you're looking for some college hoops, that's on tonight as well. Porter, I have good news for you. You ready? I'm a fan of good news. Ron DeSantis has chimed in with the CFP decision. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So that's it's very that's what I was waiting for, by the way. Yeah. No, we're all you know pins and needles to see what my guy Ron DeSantis had to say. Had a news conference today proposing a new budget for Florida. Nobody cares about that. And he said, quote, my first grader, my fifth grader, and my preschooler, they're all Knowles, and they're all big-time fans, and they do the tomahawk chap 
chop all the time, and they were not happy. None of this is true. Let's be clear about this. What preschooler do you know that does the tomahawk chop, regardless of fandom of the family? And I'm sure all of his young children are are just watching college football every Saturday, locked into Florida State and and the season there. Um, Yeah, but yeah, that's what I was waiting for was, was Meatball Ron's take on CFP. One of the most annoying things of all this is like, what do we tell the children? What do we tell our children about this? If your if your biggest problem about what you have to tell your kids is concerning college football, like come on, man. I mean, what for do me, we tell the children? For me, give me a break. I I, I agree. That's why I don't have kids. Fair enough. Uh, so shout out to Ron DeSantis and his young children who are having a hard time with the Florida State thing. <laughs> are you ready for an election cycle? Oh, I'm not ready no, at I all. Don't even I I might hibernate because it could be a lot worse than Ron DeSantis. And I think it might be. It could be. So I'm just, I'm not ready for it. I'm just trying to like get through the day every day as all of us are trying to get through the day. All right. That'll do it for a Tuesday show. Fun stuff today. A lot of different stuff going on. Porter, before we say goodnight and get out of here, what comes our way on a Wednesday drive? Amy Donaldson's going to stop by. Plenty to get to with Amy. Of course, last time we chatted, it was, it was uh, pretty much all just uh, about the, uh, the Fulmer Boxing Association and, and, and what they've got going out, out there. In the meantime, Spence, a Olympic Committee announcement, uh, a bunch more stuff to, to get to with Amy. Zach Harper will stop by for the NBA or yeah for the NBA Daily Assist on a Wednesday, and uh, a guy who just FaceTimed me and announced that he's joining the show. I didn't book him; uh, he just announced that he's joining the show tomorrow. Uh, Trevor Riley, our friend, will be uh, will be with us again. You never know, and he might be here in studio. He might be over the phone, and I don't know. So, yeah, we'll have to uh, see. Prepare for that. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, Pete Thamel is reporting New Mexico is targeting Bronco Mendenhall for their vacant head coaching job for their college football, meaning New Mexico next year might be wearing spirit and tradition and honor on the back of their jerseys instead of their names. And they might be competitive. Hey, that would be good. That would be a good hire. We we joke, we kind of uh, poke and prod at Bronco, but that'd be a, a a good hire for that program. Let me be clear: this guy is a magoo, but he can coach. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I've never said anything other than that. It's just some of the press conferences and some of the like laying it on way too thick thing. And I also kind of loved that it always seemed like Kyle wanted to punch him in the face at all times. That was just kind of fun. And I will say, um, I actually kind of have a unique view on this, just because of the Virginia stuff, the the Utah stuff. Bronco at BYU was different than Bronco at Virginia. Yep. Now there's still some of the carryover, but. He was definitely playing a part when you're in Provo. That's part of the gig, and, and he did it well. Yes, he did, and he is a very good football coach. So we'll see if Bronco gets back in the game after fly fishing in Montana for the past three or four years, which sounds like a decent life to me. So with that, with that we'll say goodnight. Special thanks today to Trey Camberline, Tim McMahon, Andy Larson, John Kimball, and Kyle Bonagura. That's pro football, college football, NBA, and RSL, kind of what we try to do here every day for any of it that you missed. Website's always an option. It's ESPN700sports.com. We have some new graphics I saw. How exciting is that? Shout out to Bryce. Uh, Download our mobile app. You can take us on the go doing it that way. That's how I listen to our station. It's the ESPN700 app in the App Store and the Google Play Store. Finally, for what we do every day, specifically four hours in the afternoon. If you miss any of it, understand. Uh, Go to the podcast page, then pick which parts of it you want to listen to. It's a fun way to listen uh, to radio in the modern day. The podcast page is called The Drive with Spence Check-Its. It's available wherever you get shows. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. We all ask you to do it because it actually does help. He's Porter. I'm Spence saying goodnight. Enjoy your Tuesday. Talk to you on a Wednesday drive right here on ESPN 700.